0: Get it going. It's time to get up. Throws it long down the near sideline. Chase Claypool with a diving grab for a touchdown. These guys are here to break it all down. You can't fall off the map. You know, the damage to your business from a you know a big picture point of view would be, well, it, again, difficult to calculate. But if the NBA's playing, the NFL's playing, everybody else's playing, and you go into hibernation until next October... You can't tell me that wouldn't hurt the NHL on a whole bunch of different fronts. Let's have a little fun and make you a winner. Who do you think you are? I am. This is the starting lineup with James Savolsky and Perry Solkowski.
1: Hey, rise and shine, Metro Vancouver. It is uh, Monday, November twenty-third. James Sabolski here, Perry Solkowski there great Ballock on the other side of the glass. We are the starting lineup here on your home of Vancouver Hockey. And hopefully we get some. Sportsnet 650. How you doing, Pete? You all recovered now? Or are you getting there? Where you at?
2: Uh, well, I'm at a, uh, I did a 30-minute loop yesterday. So that's my longest walk post-surgery. Um, 30-minute loop. If you were to come up here and walk it, you're probably a decent, like I'm a slow walker to be given So now I'm at the, brayden holt be tortoise pace uh as far as i walk you're probably doing it in uh, maybe nine or ten so it was okay although i felt stiff midway through the afternoon not like i was doing anything but i will say this i I feel i'm getting better simply because uh, i saw you fire me off a text just at showtime looking for the latest information that had nothing to do with show information but was quite funny what you sent me so i will say this i can chuckle and it doesn't hurt that much anymore but i'm okay how about you
1: (laughs) true a true sign of recovery uh interesting you know obviously we're in a world of restrictions right now Uh, the city of toronto just going on a lockdown today and uh obviously dr bonnie and john Oregon kind of clamped things down so I, i think a lot of parents impacted you know from a soccer standpoint uh decision was made impacting a lot of people here in this community, Uh, can't play games unless you're playing against your own club team. So that's where we're kind of at right now. But you mentioned a 30-minute walk, and I would say this quickly here uh, before we really dive into things. Speaking of 30, our own colleague, the guy who makes sure the sound is on point, making sure Mm -hmm. that our mics are working each and every morning, the one guy who's there in the quarantine hazmat suit, Behind the glass, our own Greg Ballack turned 30 this weekend. And, man, you talk about a party that you couldn't have to ring in your 30th birthday pair. Greg's 30, man. Happy birthday, buddy.
3: Thanks, guys. Appreciate that. It was uh, fi- you- finally a birthday on a Saturday. And, of course, it's
2: during a lockdown. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you got to wait another seven years for that. Maybe we'll be
1: done Isn't by. Maybe depends. there'll be a vaccine by the time you turn forty. There, Balak.
2: Possibly. I, I'd hope so. <laughs> Jeez, that's it. You were born on the day my brother was born. Who? My sister. My wife says, "A hey, uh, how old's your brother?" Yeah, I have no idea. I'm gonna fire up <laughs> somewhere in the '60s. 61. I have no idea. It's a good yeah, day for point, birthdays, you don't care anymore, though. There's, right?
3: There's some solid birthdays on November 21st. I got Ken Griffey Jr. Oh, is on there. Troy Aikman. Oh, there's a couple good oh. athletes on there.
1: Griffey and Aikman on the same day. Yeah. It's funny. Like Griffey should have been. I mean, Griffey should have had all the records, right? Like, Griffey should have had, should have staked a greater claim to being the GOAT in Major League Baseball. And man, I'll tell you, like, if you could do a redo on somebody's career, Griffey should have never left Seattle. You know? <laughs>
2: Broke yeah, down but after that. I did you think at any point Ken Griffey's disappointed with what he did? Like he just seems like I know he's not the goat, he's not in the conversation, but he is kind of the natural, right? He just kind of oh. just did it. Did it made it always look easy.
1: I I you know, he, he, it was a, there was an effortlessness to him. And you're you're right. But man, like he but as soon as he went to Cincinnati, I mean, he broke mm. down, right? And you're right, like, put on a phenomenal body of work. A legit Hall of Famer, uh, a guy who at one time was the face of Major League Baseball. But just, like, you look at a spell from basically from the time he went to Cincinnati. Like, from 2001, you know, for a good five-year stretch, that guy struggled to get 100 games in, right? Like, like, there's some prime years that that guy was mashing – you know, hitting 40 to 50 home runs every year. And, you know, it was that that window between, like, basically 2001 and up to 2005 or so, in and around there, but just broke
0: down.
2: Well, and that's always the question when you talk of the greatest as we get set for Brady tonight. Um, Longevity, right? How long can you do it? You know, I think Bo Jackson always becomes the measuring stick for You know, what if, what if, right? Because the sample size so small, but what he did incredible in both sports. But there's got to be longevity to be considered one of the greatest of all time. I, I well, think Griffey it, it, gets the conversation of one of the, one of the most natural, but longevity is not there for him.
1: Well, the eyeball test, right? You know, like look at mm-hmm. look at the last, the last three seasons of Pat Mahomes. Like if Pat Mahomes' career came to an end, next week say he you know suffered a devastating injury i mean would you not look at pat mahomes in a in the way that you kind of think about bo jackson like man as as in a three-year window you know and is it enough of a body of work to put you in the hall of fame probably not but man like a three-year window where you saw as dominant a football player an athlete in a sport as you saw, I mean Mahomes, MVP, Super Bowl, Super Bowl MVP, and and right now maybe the inside track, um, based on another uh, late game heroic against the Raiders um, to win yesterday. I mean, I think... well,
2: I I would say this, uh, you know, hey, you've got a Super Bowl champ, so Bo, Bo Jackson never got to those heights. Yeah, but I'll say this about a Griffey Mahomes comparison: the ease in which they perform at the highest level is both both hundred percent. Can Griffey never look like he was really tense at the plate and then all of a sudden he'd be gone with his natural swing? Pat Mahomes is kind of looking like, okay, so how much time do we get to win this one? Yeah, you got about a buck forty-five in a timeout. Like, Good enough. Where's my helmet? Let's go. Expression never changes. If he has an expression, it's because he's smiling. By the way, that was fantastic. I'll get into it a little later, PSBS. Man, the microphones, I know we missed the fans, but yesterday, wherever the mic was near Derek Carr to listen to him call plays and audibles, I mean, all we had for so long was Omaha, Omaha by Peyton Mann. We got a whole bunch <laughs> from Derek Carr yesterday.
1: Oh, the kids, the, kids were, the kids brought it to my attention. I kind of had my head buried into, uh, into the computer, and they're like, do you hear what they're doing? And the highlights are on, and they're, <laughs> they're going, did you just hear what he said? Did you hear what he called the play? James Harden. Yeah. And and some of the (laughs) other ones that they had, outstanding. Yes, I admire the creativity here in 2020. James Harden. James (laughs) (laughs) Harden. Well done. Uh, very well done. Uh, lots to get to here uh, as we go. We'll uh, be joined by uh, Stephen Wino from the Associated Press and the National Hockey League writer uh, in Washington, D.C., coming up in just a couple of minutes. Uh, we'll also be joined by our Monday morning quarterback, N- N- Natea J coming up at 7 o'clock as well. Your Canucks commute featuring uh, Sportsnet 650 Canucks hockey analyst, Corey Hurst. So lots of puck to get to. And-, and that's where we'll start this morning here, Pear. I- it's a critical week, I think, for the National Hockey League with you know I think some of the bickering or or at least some of the tension that has risen here over the last few days um, where you look at look the owners have reportedly now asked for more concessions after agreeing on a new collective bargaining agreement four or five months ago they're looking for salary deferrals or increased escrow and you know we've, we've heard comments that players have been left blindsided the words betrayed angry Look, I think this is a big week for the NHL. I get it. Like, if I was a player, I'd be pissed off if I was asked to take more pay concessions after agreeing to something like just a few months ago. I'd be annoyed. But 2020 has been brutal for many. It's gotten worse here at this point, as you see where, look at the restrictions that were in here and in other parts of Canada and the U.S. I think you need to look around and ask yourself what the alternative is. I think the players need to say, look, expand the playoffs for the duration of this CBA for more revenue purposes, and you got to move on. But I think you've got about a three-day window between now and Thanksgiving on Thursday to try to get these leaders on both sides together and try to come up with an agreement if you're still hopeful to play January 1st.
2: I'd be shocked if they're getting it done before American Thanksgiving this week. Um, but I do think they need a cooling-off period, and maybe that's what it will be. Hey, it was great that they were able to hammer out. It was incredible that they hammered out a CBA during the summer when everything was going the wrong way. And you go, my goodness gracious, how did they get it together? And how did they did it? Was they kept it pretty quiet. It wasn't like we were having these conversations we were talking about, will they play and we'll have this discussion. They're going, are you kidding me? You're announcing a new CBA. But even if you're doing that in July and August, you did not know what December would look like in 2020. And we don't know what January or February will look like. Now, The only thing that's different is, you know, rumblings of, you know, Gary Bettman wants January 1st, but do all the owners want January 1st when they see that, hey, maybe by February we can start to have people in the building? I do think they've got about two weeks left if they're trying to play on January 1, give or take players coming from around the globe, give them two weeks and give them a couple weeks to 10 days to have a quick training camp. Um, I don't see them getting it done this week. I hope all the meetings they have are done quietly because we're going into major league baseball territory when you're kind of looking at these guys going really and with the NBA coming up with everybody else happening, you know, with the, with the NFL full swing and everything goes okay with them, we get used to the positive test for covid and then the games go on as scheduled like they did this past weekend. You can't afford to watch other things happen and have NHL players be bickering with owners. So, I agree, a very important week. I would be shocked though if they can get this thing done before Thanksgiving, Thursday.
1: All right, let's check in with uh, Stephen Wino uh, from the Associated Press, hockey columnist and uh, hockey writer for uh, the press across North America. Um, Stephen, good morning, sir. Welcome back.
3: Good morning. How are you guys
1: doing? Oh, we're excellent, thank you. I mean, it's. I think we'd be all collectively a little bit better to have uh, hockey up and running. It is kind of hockey season, and, you know, we're kind of at a point where it's. Uh, there seems to be a sense of the NHL and the players kind of taking a page from Major League Baseball right now, but how, how critical is this week for, I mean, if Gary Bettman's pie in the sky uh, January 1st start date is still on the table, how big a week is this?
3: Yeah, I, I agree that I think the next two weeks are, are, are big, not just for a January 1st start, but just for a realistic 50 to 70-game season starting sometime in that January 1st to January 20th, 25th time frame. That there, there's this Crucial issue of salaries for players that has to have some sort of agreement there that from the player side, they said, they say we negotiated a CBA just a few months ago. The ink is barely dry, as Agent Alan Walsh has said. And then you've got the owners saying, yeah, but we're not paying you 82 games worth of salary to maybe play 58, 60 games worth. And trying to figure out, and this is going to be very feminine, Don sears of uh, just trying to figure out, how to bridge that gap, and, and, and I think if they can solve that issue and figure out sort of what to do with escrow and some of these little things that they have disagreed with and come to agreement on before, then I think we're going to have a season, and I think it'll be starting sometime in mid-June. So, uh,
2: Stephen, do you think it's um, you know they surprised us all in the summertime by almost keeping it quiet and getting it done where we you know we focused on Major League Baseball and the issues they had. Um. I'm not going to say the cat's out of the bag, but we didn't hear this kind of bitterness in all those weeks in the summer. Maybe it's because our focus was elsewhere. But do you think there yeah. there is a little bit of bitterness now between a relationship between the League and Players Association that for the most part in the last four or five years has been as good as it's ever been?
3: Yeah, and I, I do think the, the, the timeliness of it affected things. The fact that the NHL
2: was negotiating
3: in the summer specifically about the return to play for the playoffs that there were no salaries involved helped a lot. That there wasn't a monetary factor that players don't get paid during the playoffs. So that you threw away that sort of money aspect of it. I think that lowered the temperature a little bit. I think having not having necessarily a deadline for a future agreement, but hey, we want to get this together. And not having the immediacy of worrying about what next year is going to look like helped. Now you have a, a, an actual circumstance, surging virus numbers across the globe, across North America, that changes the reality of even what we thought it would be last summer, as had mentioned, is that now that we know exactly what the circumstances are, and that you can't probably understand in, in almost any buildings at this point, other than maybe three or four markets in the league, that it changes the game of what owners expected they were going to have. And, and not to say that that that, that CBA shouldn't be valid, it, it's very valid. But I think when players and owners came to an the agreement, they think, okay, well, this is going to be the number based on 82 games. If we can get some fans in the building at some point, and it's just changed so much that I, I still think these sides can work on an agreement. I I don't know that this is an irreparable situation like it was in 2004 or five when the season was canceled. I just think there's a, a kind of a sizable gap between what each side is thinking at this point, and that's where some of that bitterness comes from. Uh,
1: Stephen Wino here from the Associated Press on Sportsnet 650. There was an article uh, in the Ottawa Sun where uh, NHL agent Andy Scott, who represents the likes of Patrick Laine, um, Ben Hutton, to name just a few names uh, as well for, for people here in this market, but he suggested that you know litigation could be a consideration for the players. Do, do you think that they would consider going down that road at this point?
3: Well, if, if they're going down the litigation route, we're probably not having a season. And, and that's – yeah, mm-hmm. they could absolutely consider that based on the fact that there's an understanding and a collective bargaining agreement going on here that, that, that owners technically have to abide by. But, it, I mean, you, yes, they, they, they could go and say this is what we're going to get. Owners can also say we're not opening the doors and, and kind of change the game entirely. But that's, that's sort of a nuclear option. I, I, that's, that's something that players could do. That's something that could push the owners to the brink of, of not playing at all. But it would be terrible optics for, for the NHL if you've got the NBA playing, you have the NFL fighting through this, you have Major League Baseball starting spring training. If the NHL goes dark in the middle of a pandemic while every other sport continues to play, that's not going to be a good look for players or owners.
2: And is that the pressure that Gary Bettman feels? I always felt he's tried to be in lockstep with Adam Silver because the league seasons are similar, and the fact that the NBA we've had while the player movement on the weekend they seem to be set ready to go. Uh, is that where Bettman feels the heat? Do you think?
3: Yeah, I think that's part of the reason. And and I think when the NBA announced the December twenty second, twenty third start to the season, that kind of kicked the NHL into gear a little bit, as much as players and the league have been talking about a January first start
0: see what
3: we're targeting and then when the nba came with an agreement saying yeah we're starting then i think everybody woke up to the urgency of yeah we need to get this together now and and that you don't want to cede so much ground to the nba when, when look in the united states the nhl is, is very much a fourth place out of four in the u.s on in ratings in revenue all of those things in in media attention and everything and you don't want to give up those months of january february that, that you held so dear for so long that it's, it's supposed to be hockey season. And, and I think Gary Bettman also has the pressure of thinking and about his legacy, but there's no thing to have a lockout for monetary terms and something you figure is going to be best for the long-term future of the sport. To have a, a season canceled or significantly cut short by a, a pandemic and not being able to come to an agreement with your own owners and with players would be a, a real stain on, on Gary Bettman's legacy.
1: No, I I no, I think the optics look absolutely horrible in terms of where they where they go and and, and what the steps kind of follow here. You're right. Everybody else is playing. Tell me this though, Stephen, like this is the last year of NBC's television deal right now with the National Hockey League after signing that 10-year deal worth 2 billion dollars. And that was what um yeah, I'm almost 10 years ago and it's funny to think like that was a lot of money at the time in some ways, right? But you know, Even a new television deal will still pale in comparison to the revenue that the National Football League, the NBA, Major League Baseball get in terms of uh, television broadcast deals. But here we are in a COVID world. Do you think that there will still be a home-run potential contract for the NHL south of the border that might be closer in line to what they are getting from a financial standpoint, from TV dollars up here in Canada?
3: I I think there's a chance of that with two caveats, one one of them being that but I think the NHL, and this might have been one of Gary Bettman and, and the league's blunders, is signing that long of a deal, they missed the bubble. They missed that, that, that period of time in that 2013 to 2017-18 range where all these networks were pouring money into TV rights, and yeah. the contracts ballooned. And you saw the NBA cap going. And by signing such a long-term deal for the security, I think they missed that opportunity to get that level of money. But I do think there's still a, a demand out there. And I think the question becomes: Do are, is the NHL willing to split like every other North American sports league has among multiple media outlets? ESPN gets involved. NBC is still kind of the primary kind of rights holder. And, and rather than the kind of the exclusive agreement with Rogers Sportsnet in Canada, things would split more. You get TSN to kind of buy a piece of that. I think if there's willingness not to have this exclusivity, that I think the NHL is really like, can get some of that money back and and it would really help if if the contract were a year shorter and it'd be up now because then you have enough money to kind of get you through a pandemic season and I think if Gary government can convince the owners hey we can get a lot of this money back in hockey related revenue with this new media deal we've just got to get through to next summer and not destroy our reputation in the process I think that's a winning strategy and I think it's a winning game for everybody involved.
2: Uh, Stephen, a couple things. Uh, you, you're based in Washington. Braden Holpe making news from a fun standpoint of trying to get his tortoises up across the Canadian border. What can fans expect from him, not only on the ice, but the kind of player that will be putting on a Canucks uniform if and when we get going?
3: Look, you're, you're going to love him. You're, you're going to love him as, as, as a goaltender, as a person. He's somebody who
4: believes,
3: he and, and his wife, family believe in so many things. They, they've marched in, in the Pride Parade in Washington. Green Hope, he was very outspoken about not wanting to go to the White House. Um, look, they're, they're real people. They're real humans. And, and I know hockey players get this grip for not wanting to kind of show their personality. And, and Green Hope is not a mean guy. He's not. He always wants to talk about the team, not about himself. But he he cares so much about the world and making it better. And he, he has certain kind of beliefs, he and his family, that he, he's a very likable athlete, very likable person. Uh, he's He's a, I still think he's got a lot left in the tank. I, I, I know his numbers the last couple of years have not been as good as the Stanley Cup year, as the Vesna Trophy year. He's playing behind kind of a, a weakening defense, uh, especially with Todd Reardon as, as coach. It didn't kind of play to his strengths. But he, I still think he's a, a strong goaltender. whether you, whether Vancouver has him for a year before an expansion draft or whatever, that, that this is a guy that, that fans and, and teammates are going to really love.
1: That's certainly encouraging. Um and and you were at the game yesterday with Joe Burrow getting knocked out for the season, right?
3: Yeah, and this is I've seen on the same team 3 Andy Dalton, Alex Smith, Kyle Allen, and now Joe Burrow—all get hurt, and it's not fun anytime.
1: Oh, so it's you. You're like the you're hmm. like the broken mirror kind of thing.
3: It's it's me, or it's that stadium, or it's something. <laughs> I don't know if it was built on a on a burial ground or what. I don't. It's just, it's, it's a bad stadium to begin with, and it'll be closing and as soon as physically possible, I hope. No, it, 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 it's horrible to see for, for, for Joe Burrow, because not just for, for the Bengals, that organization, and the fans, but it was fun to see Joe Burrow, a national champion, a Heisman football
0: to live up
3: to all that hype, to, to be a gunslinger, to be talking about, I only care about wins, and, and be willing to throw the ball as much as he did. It was fun to watch him, and it's, it's bad for football. It's bad for everybody to see him hurt like that and just give him a free play
2: we We certainly have had a lot of conversations with hockey uh, uh writers and broadcasters who were in the bubble um in Edmonton, saying how strange it was. how different was it watching a football game live
3: it was you know what and this was the first Washington game with absolutely no fans no 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 uh, friends or family in there and it was weird, even having three thousand in the building a couple of weeks ago when the Giants were in town that it felt like an atmosphere. It felt like even having people kind of socially distance in the lower bowl. Just that noise made it feel more real. It's just surreal now, even more surreal than, than the NHL, because you think you got, it, you got used to it in Edmonton, just kind of being in an empty arena, and the, the, the tarps helped. But having the empty seats in here and having the empty sound, it, it didn't feel like an NFL game as much. And, and, and I, I, I'm sure for the players, you get used to it after playing seven, eight, nine games now. But it, it still was weird being in an empty place with that, that piped-in crowd, and when a big moment should be happening, a uh, silence or just the din of that fake crowd noise instead of the a roar of a crowd or a silence when the Bengals score it's just, it was so much different than that we're used to and I think it also makes us appreciate what it's going to be like when fans are back
1: yeah I mean you, you think we're all impacted we get the piped in crowd noise which sometimes on some broadcasts like it sounds spectacular it sounds like you know it works but man oh man it must be a completely different energy for so many athletes Stephen great to catch up with you man you uh stay safe out there and uh, hopefully we can talk about more positive things with a return to hockey sooner rather than later here.
3: Sounds great, gentlemen. Talk to you soon.
1: Awesome. Talk to you, too. Thanks, uh, team. Uh, Stephen. Stephen from the Associated Press uh, in Washington, D.C., on the NHL's return to play and uh, a big few days ahead I think a big couple of weeks in in the eyes of I think all of us um, and Stephen certainly agreeing to that. Alright, 24 minutes after 6 o'clock here on this uh, Monday morning he's Perry Solikowski. I'm James Cebulski, Dunbar Lumber text line always open for business, 650-650 at Sportsnet 650 is where you can also find us on Twitter as well we'll get into much more what went down yesterday in the National Football League and boy oh boy, in a year of doing. and gloom. The sports card collector is winning big as well. We'll get into that all ahead here on your home of the Canucks Sportsnet 650.
0: Welcome to the starting lineup with James Sabolsky and Perry Solkowski on the official home of the Canucks Sportsnet 650.
1: 6:30 here on this Monday morning. Sobalski, Solkowski kicking it with you until nine o'clock this morning. Dunbar Lumber text line already up and running. People jumping in with their reaction and yeah, I think you know, like parents. Here we are, late November. I mean, U.S. Thanksgiving. This is usually the time of the year that we kind of use it as a measuring stick for. All right, who's for real? Who's not in the National Hockey League? Right? I remember the the, the stat for years. Well, if you were in the playoffs at this you know by u.s thanksgiving you had a 75 mm-hmm. percent chance or somewhere along that number right and this year not so yeah.
2: much yeah if, if, if you can say you're okay by u.s thanksgiving good you're you're battling and you're strong mentally yeah sign your text too in the Dunbar uh, lumber hotline uh someone after the Wino conversation players and owners need to figure this the hell out and do it quietly because of this world right now. Nobody wants to hear millionaires whine about money. I'm all for the guys getting paid, but these guys really got to think about what they're complaining about right now, especially if it's just a deferral. I don't know if at the best of times when there is negotiations between pro athletes and their league, um, if anybody wants to hear anyone who goes and works a nine to five job and you see the numbers and the salaries that these guys make. And I think the NHL players for the most part, Are those guys that don't want to be put in the spotlight because of the discussion? But Seth, it's the the job of, of insiders and to find out about negotiations, and this is where they've got to be a little quieter about it. Yeah, no one wants to hear what the players heard last week. But honestly, are you walking away? And are you going to play the card? Hey, you told us this, you know, four months ago. You can't change. I don't know, James, if you and I were going to have a crystal ball back in July and August, I wouldn't have thought that here we are at the end of November and and it's worse the situation that we're in than it was back then. So yeah, I'll I'll say one thing, do it quietly. That's what they have to do.
1: Yeah, no, it's it's uh it's a bad look from a player's standpoint because from an optic standpoint, people are looking at it going, "Man, you guys make lots of money, you play a sport." And But I empathize with the players too, right? I mean, I've, I've got friends and neighbors and colleagues that have had to take, you know, salary reductions over the last year, over the last six to eight months where, you know, your hours have been reduced or people have been furloughed. Man, like I've got some, a, a good friend of mine, you know, in in the eastern part of the country, you know, he works in live event business, right? I mean, he hasn't, <laughs> and, and he doesn't see that, Happen, you know changing anytime soon like i feel for them and you know if the players are you're looking at you know losing 40 you know 30 maybe up to 40 percent of your salary before taxes i get it like that would suck nobody likes that but what's the alternative right now i mean it's i mean i don't think anybody planned for this right like nobody said hey you know what we need to do we need to absolutely flatten the economy here we need to come up with a pandemic right like it's I I certainly empathize with that. And and I think a lot of people, you know, Jono also texting in here on the Dunbar Lumber text line. I do empathize with the players, but also recognize that there is no money. But I also blame the leadership for both sides for actually thinking there would be an 82-game sched. So, um Anyway, that's that's where we're at right now, 650-650. Always welcome the conversation. Uh, meantime, I, Monday Night Football tonight, we've got a good one. Our Monday morning quarterback, uh, Natea Jay, will join us in about 30 minutes. But, Pear, how about Chase Claypool? With what he continues to do from Abbotsford with love for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Kid still hasn't lost a game yet as a rookie in the National Football League. Now 10-0. and Uh, continuing to get it done and gets another touchdown. And the numbers and the history that he's making right now, um, man, like we haven't seen a rookie deliver like this. The first wide receiver in the Super Bowl era to catch at least 10 touchdown passes in his first 10 career games. Nobody's done this in 60 years, you got to go back to Houston's. Here's a name from the past Houston's Bill Groman. 1960. You got to go back 60 years ago since a rookie did this last as a playmaking receiver.
2: And you know, there was no preseason. Claypool came into that Pittsburgh Steelers, uh, you know, uh, depth chart, probably as a number 5 4 guy took advantage of some opportunities and you're not bumping them out for a long, long time. You know, the the Steelers as a whole, the, the, uh, I had a futures bet on the Pittsburgh Steelers. Will they win more than nine and a half games. Well, thanks for coming in the first 10 weeks. I mean, I don't think people expected this football team to be as good as there was. And there's big Ben, who maybe proves a year away from the sport because of injury has got them lit up. But Claypool is just absolutely a beast you know, watching back and forth, there's so much football on, on, the, on the morning. There were still a couple of balls that he could have caught and probably thinks he should have caught and had more. But he has been unstoppable on a good football team. I hope this, that Chase Claypool, you know, it depends. We have Christian Covington on. He comes and does a camp here in Vancouver and always has, does some work for kids sport. I think these guys get so big. I hope they've got some guidance and you know, some representatives who are all about the NFL, but that they can really use what they can do here locally, too, and help out. Clay, Chase Claypool is massive. Someone like Alfonso Davies. These are worldwide stars that have that connection to our city. And sometimes it's just, okay, just come back for a couple days, a weekend or something with the kids. Claypool is going to be someone, I'm sure, once the world gets back to normal, we will see an awful lot of number 11 Pittsburgh Steelers jerseys right around greater Vancouver because he has been an absolute beast.
1: Yeah, no, for sure. And, and that's, like, inspiring the youth and, and people from looking around going, man, like, he's from our neck of the woods. Like, he's from our hood. That's, that, that's not nothing. And the impact and the growth. And, you know, you look at the rise of – you know how many great canadian nba players are there now because of you know the growth of the sport here on this side of the border in the last 25 years right i mean yes the grizzlies didn't stay long enough But, I mean, look at how, look at the explosion of players coming out of, you know, the Toronto area here over the last, you know, 15 years or even 10 years now. Like, how many guys have been lottery picks? And and I think that Chase Claypool's got that opportunity. Ross Tucker uh, was on the, uh, from the Ross Tucker Show, was on this morning on our sister station, uh, Sportsnet 590, the fan in Toronto. And, man, did he have high praise for the Abbotsford native and what he's doing, and offered a pretty good comparable that relates to, I think, a lot of football fans here on this side of the country.
4: He, he's DK Metcalf 2.0. I mean, he reminds me so much of DK Metcalf, maybe not quite as thick, but they're both like 6'4, over 230 pounds, lightning fast, big and strong and physical. Neither one of them can run the complete route tree. You know, they're not going to be able to get in and out of their breaks, like Keenan Allen or someone like that. They don't have to, you know, they're so big and strong and fast that just ask them to do the things they do well. And they're able to have a lot of success. Now it's nice to have Ben Roethlisberger and Russell Wilson throwing you the ball for sure. But those guys are so impressive. And they both drop to, like, late in the second round because they can't run all the routes, which always makes me laugh. How about having them run the routes that nobody can cover them on? <laughs> that seems good enough to me, right? Like, don't have them run the routes they can't run. Have them run the routes to slant and the deep go route that nobody can cover them on. Uh, very, very impressive. By the way, do you guys have a rivalry with Vancouver? <laughs>
1: <laughs> the conversation <laughs> kind of goes a little sideways from there. Um, yeah, and, then it got ugly. <laughs> yeah, we we could save that for for another day, but the the where it's at, um, man, DK Metcalf, you know, and and boy, like you know, there's another guy who dropped in the draft, and and look at the win for the Seahawks. But you know, Chase Claypool is almost 240 pounds, and and runs like a track star. I mean, like if you if there's anything you want from a receiver. Big, strong, fast. Uh, yep, 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 right?
2: He is, and he's a guy who is going to be talked about on Monday mornings. You know, we talk about what he has done, uh, you know, for the NFL. They'll look now a little harder at the Vancouver area and right throughout Canada for key positions. You know, we were in a discussion uh, on this show, post-show, probably a couple months ago. We are talking, ah, who do we get for guests? And and our producer, Mike, mention the – Dallas Cowboys, long snapper or someone on the Cowboys. I'm going, who's that? Never heard of the name. And he was a Canadian. He's from Quebec, and I think he's been there 16 or 17 years. We're going, what? Well, you can find those Canadians that have been in those positions. Uh, Obviously, we know in Kansas City with the good doctor who stayed up north of the border to fight COVID, but never do you have a guy in a key position like Chase Claypool. Maybe next year we see a Canadian in Chuba Hubbard who's actually doing something in a running back position. But it has been that long, and I know Ruben Mays did some great things from Saskatchewan yeah. for the New Orleans Saints. But Chase Claypool's a difference maker, James. As you said, he's doing something that no one has done as a receiver since 1960. So it's unbelievable that he's got that. So um, if, if he continues to play that well on a Steelers team that is rolling that well, he's a massive part of it. Uh, that's just great news for local football here and great news for Canadian football, and it makes it that much more fun to watch.
1: <laughs> Nelson from Langley on the Dunbar-Lumber text line at six fifty six fifty. He's a solid kid, loves the 604. He's aware of his platform, but this may be biased. Hashtag
2: proud uncle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. See, he didn't, he didn't have to go here. I thought he was just going to be biased cuz he's from Langley, but uh yeah, you got something to be proud of nothing, that's for
1: 100%, sure. 100% man. Like that's like that's a good story and I think that's one that I think we all collectively want to kind of claim here as our own and and to do it, you're right, parrot like you know And no disrespect to, you know, Mike Shad was a trailblazer in the Canadian, you know, as a Canadian in the NFL years back as a first round pick. Um, You look at so many of these guys, you know, over the years and, you know, DuVernay Tardif uh, and what he's done this year. And man, to make a difference like he's doing from a medical standpoint beyond just winning a Super Bowl this year. But Chase Claypool is doing it as a skill position guy, right? And and like fantasy football, like he's got a chance to legitimately be a star, you know, can take some of that spot. Like where the O-line guys don't necessarily get that.
2: No, we put him up on a pedestal because they're Canadian. Uh, There's a lot of people who love the Pittsburgh Steelers that just go, man, I love Chase Claypool and don't dig back. But he's from where? Abbotsford? Where is that? Um, He's making them talk about where he is from. Uh, and that's great. And you can only imagine the kids that are in seven or eight, grade seven and eight, and just starting to play football. That you would think all the coaches are going, "Look, here's how good you can be." Is he a one-off? Is he an exception? Are we going to be now? Oh, all of a sudden, all these kids? No, because the numbers just don't allow you in Canada. The odds are against you. But when you get someone like Claypool playing like that, taking advantage of 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 the platform he has, it just makes our sport better. You know, you mentioned basketball. Yeah, it was great. It's the Grizzlies. It's, it's the Raptors. And that's where there's the growth. But I have to say when all of a sudden you got a kid from Victoria that's at the top of the heap at an MVP, you know, that made a difference what Steve Nash did. If Steve Nash was just a guy who got 15 minutes game, that's one thing. But all of a sudden when you're the best in the game, that just catapults everything to a different level. And that's right now. But Chase Claypool is. He's in a conversation at his position as the best in the game right now, 10 weeks into his career.
1: Uh, It's our uh, Sportsnet 650 poll question this morning on Twitter. Uh, Who is BC's best athlete right now? We've got four options for you. Chase Claypool, Adam Hadwin, Carrie Price, Christine Sinclair. Right now, Sink running away with it, 50% of the vote. Carey Price at 26% and Chase Claypool at 24%. Adam Hadwin, uh, a little over 1%. So nice to see the Hadwin family voting for him. But, uh, yeah, cast your ballot. Also, let us know at the Dunbar Lumber text line at 650-650. Time to get into this morning's edition of Seaball Says. You know, I was like to
0: take this opportunity to talk about myself. Seaball Says on Sportsnet 650 COVID-19
1: has turned the world upside down. Small businesses have been greatly impacted. Millions on unemployment were forced to collect CERB in this country and several stories about the toll it's taken on our mental well-beings. But there are other stories out there about the shocking success of some people and in industries during COVID. Who predicted a housing boom during a pandemic?
4: I didn't see that one coming, No.
1: Building supply stores, killing it in 2020.
4: You didn't
5: see that coming?
1: Companies that make booze. And you also might be surprised at the hobby collecting industry.
5: What? You didn't see that coming?
1: In the last few days, stories of a box of unopened Pokemon cards from 1999 sold for $360,000 and a copy of detective comics number 27 oh a holy grail in this house but featuring the first appearance of batman just sold for 1.5 million dollars i'm batman that's right a comic and no i don't have that comic uh the same thing is happening right now with sports cards these days we've heard of the legendary stories of the honus wagner cards selling for millions years ago But so many more cards are making people rich these days. How about Wayne Gretzky's 1979 Opechie rookie card? It has sold a few times in recent months for over $100,000. How many of you right now are feeling sick to your stomach knowing what you might have done to yours at some point over the years? To Gretzky!
0: Goal scorer in National Hockey League history
1: is Wayne Gretzky. Now, along with the hype surrounding Zion Williamson, the Last Dance docu-series about Michael Jordan and the Bulls re- con- rekindled the love of MJ and has ignited basketball collectors too.
0: He wasn't really a nice guy. He may have been a tyrant. Oh, well, that's you because you never won anything.
1: Now, there are a few different theories out there why this is happening. One is that because people aren't traveling, they're spending money other ways. A new layer of sports card and collecting has come in recent years with card grading. You know how that diamond you bought for your significant other went through a whole grading process. The same thing is also happening with cards adding additional value. We've seen the sports card explosion happen before. 30 years ago, the sports card industry erupted. Upper Deck, Pro Set, tops Peachy, Score, Donruss, Fleer, Bowmans. Every company seemed to be pumping out a set. When it suddenly came crashing down just to sheer oversaturation.
2: Iceberg, right
1: ahead! Now, companies have seemingly learned their lesson from back then, and the lesson here is that hopefully you've hung on to your collection over the years because you just might have helped pay for your kids' university tuition. That's Seaball Says for this Monday morning. 650-650, the Dunbar-Lumbered text line. If you ever want to weigh in with your thoughts, much more still ahead, including our Monday morning quarterback, Nateya J. coming up at 7 o'clock here on Sportsnet 650.
0: Now more of the starting lineup with James Cebulski and Perry Solkowski on Sportsnet 650.
1: Nine minutes to seven o'clock. Our Monday morning quarterback, Natea Jay, will join us uh, coming up just after seven o'clock. Cebalski, Sokowski, and uh, not to be a Debbie Downer here on a a Monday morning at all pair, but uh, it was on this day back in 2014 that we lost the big Irishman. Uh, Pat Quinn passed away. I can't believe it's been six years already since we lost Quinn.
2: You know, ironically, uh, just uh, I haven't been quick at doing anything. So still uh, I'm reading Berkey's book and the chapter that I'm just finishing was the whole Pavel Burry story and basically about Brian and the mentorship that Pat Quinn brought. I mean, and just what he brought to the Canucks organization and, and Berkey tells a lot of stories about the front office and how he used to have to go into Pat's office sometimes and just kind of end conversations because he would want anyone no matter what your role was to come by and just talk. And he said, he was incredible at listening. And you know, I'll tell you what the, the influence he had on people. I, I went up to Penticton all the time for the BC sports hall of fame um, and the hockey hall of fame banquet. And I was telling you last week that in the conversation over dinner, my wife asked who Mary Lemieux was. So thus we now have her knowledge of hockey, but we went out <laughs> with a friend and Pat Quinn and his wife, and we just hung out at a bar and for some reason pat was wearing a hawaiian shirt must have been some kind of a theme night and she always said who was that guy in a hawaiian shirt five six years later who was that guy again just because he was the nicest man right and i think pat had that and was going to create that atmosphere where he went and as we talk about canucks place and all that boy it's the big irishman and berkey will always tell you that kind of led the way as to here's how we're going to do things here's what a connect means and it's still strong here in 2020
1: Oh, I mean, it's it, in terms of what he did for, for this organization and this market, you know, I, I, I covered Quinn when he was the coach and general manager of the Leafs, and, you, you know, you'd talk about, like, he'd have this disdain for the media there. But then you could ask Pat anything, and he'd give you a great answer. It's like, hey, Pat, what do you make of the uh, situation right now in Iraq? Well, you know, and he just, man, like, just thoughtful relate it and you'd walk away with a clip. You're like, this is great. And it would appear on like all the six o'clock news shows like not just sports, mm-hmm. but my favorite Pat Quinn story. Um, we were covering, it was a senators and leaf series. Uh, the Leafs were staying at a hotel in, uh, in the West end of Ottawa. And a few of us in the media were watching uh, Montreal and Boston in this playoff series. And Bob Cole was sitting by himself at the bar. And a few of us were, you know, kind of just, you know, floating around the lobby bar and, and Cole was right into this game, pair. Like, I mean, he was – it was almost like he was calling the game. Like, here's the legendary Bob Cole. And, and any time mm-hmm. Michael Ryder was on the ice, fellow Newfoundlander, uh, he, would, he would just, you know, Michael, Michael. And, you know, you're just kind of <laughs> like, man, this is Bob Cole, and he's kind of losing his ish right now just as a hockey fan. This is amazing. And so Quinn and a few members of the Leafs front office come back from a dinner. And the game's still on, and Quinn walks by, and in that exact moment, you know, here's Bob Cole kind of, Oh, look at this! Oh! And he's just like, out loud, like, just, it's it's like the guy's in his own hotel room. Like, like he's just yeah. oblivious to the fact that anybody's around him, and Bob Cole's just doing this, right? And Quinn's just kind of standing there for a moment, drinking it in, kind of smirks, kind of eyeballs the room, and sees a few of us in there. And then all of a sudden, and Cole, like, his back is to Quinn, so he doesn't know Pat Quinn's there. And all of a sudden, after Bob Cole loses his, you know what, one more time, Pat Quinn just all of a sudden bellows out, boy, anybody who says you're washed up is way off and just kind of walks away. And Bob Cole turns <laughs> up. who said that? <laughs> as Bob Cole would <laughs> and just like the ultimate mic drop by Pat Quinn and just uh, oh my god, it was like
4: one of the That's funniest awesome. things
1: I've ever seen in this business with Pat Quinn just chirping Bob Cole like that and Bob just losing it. Uh, five minutes to 7 o'clock. Uh, your Monday morning quarterback we will dive into what went down in the National Football League and also get into some hockey too at 7 o'clock hour next right here on your home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650.
0: <laughs> Let's get it going. It's time to get up. Throws it long down the near sideline. Chase Claypool with a diving grab for a touchdown. These guys are here to break it all down. You can't fall off the map. You know, the damage to your business from a you know a big picture point of view would be, well, it, again, difficult to calculate. But if the NBA's plan, the NFL's playing, everybody else's plan, and you go into hibernation until next October... You can't tell me that wouldn't hurt the NHL on a whole bunch of different fronts. Let's have a little fun and make you a winner. Who do you think you are? I am. This is the starting lineup with James Savolsky and Perry Solkowski.
1: Seven o'clock a reminder that this hour of the starting lineup is a presentation of Dunbar Lumber, the smart alternative. This is Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street and Ladner, our Street in Vancouver, or check them out online at Dunbar Lumber. Dot com. James Sabalski, Perry Solkowski kicking it with you, Nateya J, our Monday morning quarterback, set to join us here momentarily as well. As uh, the Steelers remain perfect. This was kind of it was funny. I'm gonna nitpick here, selfishly speaking here, pair, but you know, you got a Sunday when your team's not necessarily playing, you know, the Seahawks not playing as well. It was kind of a Sunday that you know, I watched, but I was totally Switzerland, I felt like watching all the action
2: yesterday. Oh, listen, do you not listen to Furman and Steve Rapp Thursday and Friday, respectively, and take what they do and you go and say, okay, maybe I'm going to throw $20 on this team. I, uh, we called the Tennessee upset yesterday. That was a great football game. Derrick Henry at the end that Packers Colts game in the afternoon was terrific. And I'd like to say right now, I had the Dallas Cowboys winning a football game. Oh. So everything was great, but everything was riding on last night, and I just felt with Andy Reid, and kind of using the whole bus case scenario, going to Las Vegas, prime time, Patrick Mahomes, and the uh, and the Chiefs were going to blow out the Raiders. But full credit to David Carr, that's a good football team that John Gruden has. You know they get the win they didn't cover, but uh, man, I, I found it another I- intriguing afternoon of football not even talking about carolina and the story there with pj Wright and what happened with the panthers but man uh i was not switzerland man i was like oh man need a touchdown do all that the beauty of the nfl and wagering Mm
3: mm-hmm
1: yeah. You, and you I, lost put, the your, boss, I lost
2: to the boss. I lost to the boss in fantasy, too. My fantasy football team's taken a serious hit in the last three weeks.
1: Oh, my gosh. I I lost. I went through a three week run where I think I lost by almost three to four points each week, and it's just gone off the rails. Uh, let's try to save us before we go off the rails here. Our Monday morning quarterback, Natea J from the All Ball Podcast, joining here on this Monday morning, as he always does all season long. Natea, what's up, man?
6: James Perry, how you guys doing? I'm doing We're- fantastic. Another weekend of NFL football, college football, and now we got the Monday nighter. Couldn't be better times right now, except for a lockdown, but still great times. <laughs> you get to watch football. <laughs> well let's let's
1: wave the let's wave the Canadian flag here because there's some great stories going down. First off You know, from a local standpoint here for us, Chase Claypool continues to make magic and uh, with his 10th receiving touchdown of the season. But, man, there's another really good story about a guy who played in the Canadian Football League not that long ago. He was a member of the national rugby team. But Tavon Campbell starting for the Chargers as well at corner. Like, man, there's a guy who's just two guys who can flat out fly.
6: Yeah, Tavon Campbell, he's talking about a guy that's probably one of the fastest people, like, I've ever seen play. I mean, this dude, I mean, the 40-yard 40, 40 dash, they timed it at four three five, right? And if he was at the NFL Combine, that probably would have been one of the best in his class, right? So I was able to go against him in the CFL, and you always, every time the scouting report came out, I was like, okay, this dude, do not leave the ball hanging in the air because he can track it down. Uh, do not uh underthrow anything because he's he he has the ability to catch it and take it to the house. They had him returning kicks. So, you know, you could see that he had the speed and the physicality and the athleticism, right? But then when he got his opportunity in the NFL, he was he bounced around a, a bit, but once he got his opportunity in San Diego, I mean, uh LA, LA Chargers he was able to make enough plays, learn enough of the system where his athleticism could show. And that's what you saw last week where he's able to – Joe Flacco thought he had an easy out pass and he was able to catch it and take it to the house. But that's what we saw up here. I mean, this guy, nobody's surprised by that. It was just a matter of getting an opportunity. And you love to see Canadian guys get an opportunity because, you know, that's the result. You've seen that with him and Claypool.
2: But I – Nate, answer me this and our listeners, because I think some people go, okay, you talk about how fast Yvonne is, that's great. How big Claypool is, that's great. But, man, you you got to be pretty cerebral. You don't just go to the NFL and play, right? I mean, I'm sure you've played with some great athletes that just couldn't figure it out because you're there as a team. You're supposed to be running your route to do this because another guy on the other side of the field is doing something else. Or you know, your DB's got to know what's going on. Is there more to it than people would actually think than going, he's super fast, he's going to be great?
6: No, absolutely, because I've seen I've seen both ends where you you have a s- amazing athlete, but he can't do anything because he can't learn a playbook or he can't understand where he needs to line up or he can't understand tendencies of other th- teams, right? You see that all the time, fantastic athletes. But the thing about the NFL, the CFL, is great players always have something in common. They're all cerebral, like you said, uh, in one way or another, right? Whether it's, you know, a quarterback, understanding where defenses are, understanding where everybody's gonna line up, understanding where his guys are gonna be. They're all super smart. Uh, Receivers, you know, you could have the great athletic ability, but if you don't understand how your DB's playing you or how uh, certain guys like to you know, attack your weaknesses, then you're not going to be good. You're just going to be stuck at the line running, you know, running around with your head cut off. Right. So, you know, everybody in the NFL, they're all superior athletes, even the CFL, superior athletes are the reason why they're there. But if you don't have a brain, it, nothing's going to happen, and you're just going to be another one of those guys that, you know, isn't there, gets cut, and bounces around. But all the, all, the, all the guys you see that have long careers, they're they're really smart players, and you see that, you know, being in the CFL locker rooms for a while, you know, the best players, the players that are able to last longest, especially when their athleticism erodes, are the guys that can play with their brains, right? Because that gives you a step ahead, you know, even if you lose a step, you know, right? you're still going to be, uh, you know, even – up you know with your brain capacity so you no know, that's that's definitely part of it like you people think about football players and they think you know in the public that they're not the smartest guys but these guys are unbelievable like dbs for example dbs especially cornerbacks have the ability to understand the whole defense and the whole offense they have to they're watching everything
1: yeah no no sorry no, no, you just cut out there for a second there. So I, I and I just kind of wanted to bring it back that when you when you look at where Chase Claypool is in the grand scheme of things here with these ten receiving touchdowns, and and the impact that he is having to read defenses and, and helping break down these D, uh, with the success he's having, we in the last hour there was a comparable that Ross Tucker suggested he's basically DK Metcalf 2.0 as a receiver. Who comes to mind when you see Chase Claypool?
6: I see, I see DK, I see uh, Calvin Johnson. I see Terrell and just those bigger receivers that are able to make stuff happen after the catch. The thing about Claypool is they're using him in the run game as well. So he's, he's really a complete receiver where they're using him in the run game. You see him on when James Conner is running the ball, he's blocking downfield. Uh, he, he's doing really everything they need him to do. And the thing about the Steelers, if they draft you, if you ever got James, if you got drafted by the Steelers, you, you're going to be a great receiver. That's just what they do. Right? So Thank it's you. something that, you know, we should have probably should have expected that the Steelers are taking a guy in, in the second round you know he's going to be great so claypool is is unbelievable right now it's a treat to watch i feel like every time i turn on the game he's catching a touchdown right and when they get close to the end zone i'm like watching okay where's number 11 it's probably going to go to him at, at some way somehow and ben roethlisberger just has that trust in him uh, and that's rare as a rookie you know especially a veteran quarterback like that it takes sometimes years to develop that chemistry and that trust in, in, in the rookie so he has that already and touchdowns are these things where you never know how it's going to go I mean they could drop a bunch of plays for you to score touchdowns and it just doesn't work out but for him he's capitalizing on every single opportunity and the more he's scoring it seems like the more opportunities they're giving him so it's it's almost you know the rich getting richer in, in, in that aspect but it's amazing especially you know He'd be great if he wasn't Canadian, like just a great NFL player. But the fact that he's Canadian just adds a little bit of extra to it. And, and it's, it's, he's almost like a, you know, the whole country of Canada is behind him right now. It's, it's amazing to watch. And he's going to be, he's got a, I, I don't have to say it. he's got a bright future.
2: Yeah. No, it's fun. Nate, yeah, our Monday morning quarterback. You know what was fun was the, the afternoon game, the Colts in Green Bay in an old fashioned shootout. To me, uh, do you think Nate Indianapolis will look at that game? No one Philip Rivers can do. Uh you know they got lucky they should have put it away god the o line was terrible on that last drive with all the penalties but are the indianapolis colts proving everybody they're for real and they're not going away in the weeks to come
6: I think they have, They are a little bit because I mean, uh, to your point about the holding, I, I I never seen anything like that. I mean, like the, the their last drive they're complete, they're getting the first down, then they get three back to back holding penalties. I'm like, what's going on? The whole league has decided not to call holding penalties as, except against Indianapolis. It seems like that was crazy. Uh, that's <laughs> unbelievable. I never seen anything like that. But their defense is for real. That's one thing I know for sure. Their defense is for real. Their o line is for real. So when you have those two aspects and and a, a veteran quarterback like Phillip Rivers, that's just what they were missing last year. I mean, they had Jacoby Brissett in there, I and mean, he did he he did what he could. But he's not a transcendent quarterback. He's not a quarterback that's going to take you over the top. So with that, with them adding. Phillip Rivers, that just takes their game to another level because he, Phillip Rivers can make the big mistake, but he unlocked, unlocked that offense to the point where they had more balance. I mean, last year they were just run heavy, run heavy play action, and it just wasn't working. They had they didn't have balance, but now they have enough balance where, you know, Phillip can get them in the right plays. He's seen every single defense that you could throw at him, you know, right, and he he won't lose you the game, right? So their defense is at a point where it's one of the top defenses in the NFL. Uh, they played a subpar offenses, uh it, you know, in the past, in their past few games, but you want to see what they're going to do against Aaron Rodgers. And they were, they were they, in the second half there, they, they put their foot down and they were able to hold their own. So, you know, that's, that's a rep for, for uh, a, a good team, but a, a team that's going to have success in the playoffs. So, you know, they're for real, they're hundred percent for real. You see what they did against Tennessee. You see what they did this week against green Bay. I mean, I, I have a hard time not saying this team is for real because I keep waiting for the wheels to fall off, but they, they, they aren't.
1: You know, it, it, it's crazy to look at the Steelers are now 10-0 and 0 on, on the year and where they sit with their schedule. They got Baltimore Thursday, and, you know, it's a divisional matchup, so it's always tough, but they've already shown that they can beat the Ravens this year. They got Washington, Buffalo, Cincy, the Colts, uh, and the Browns. I mean, it's... At some point, they're probably going to hit a speed bump, but it feels like they're on a collision course in the AFC with the Kansas City Chiefs. And the Chiefs next week have got Tom Brady in the box. Can the Steelers beat the Chiefs?
6: Hmm. In my opinion, they have the recipe to beat the Chiefs, but I, 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 I don't see anybody beating the Chiefs right now because even when you have yeah. the Chiefs right where you want them eh, with, with the lead... You know, you're just playing into their hands, right? You know, they're, they're a team that likes to come back from behind. They play with tempo. They've got all these plays, gadgets, speed, speed demons. Mahomes can make any throw that could just, you know, erase any lead. Like, almost like Golden State when they had Durant, right? You know, you have a, you have a 10, 20-point lead. It doesn't matter. You know, a couple threes, a couple transitions, and they're very right back in the game. So the Chiefs, you know, right now, I think they're the class of the AFC. I think they're a the Super Bowl favorite. Uh, Pittsburgh, you know, they have a great defense. They got Ben Roethlisberger back. They've got great weapons, but I don't know. I don't think, I don't see it happening where the Chiefs uh, can lose to Pittsburgh. The Pittsburgh is a great team. I would love to see that matchup. It. Pittsburgh would have to play almost a perfect game, and still that might not be enough with Mahomes and uh, and this Chiefs offense. I mean, you've seen the, this year where the Chiefs they're playing almost a different style, right? They're almost getting away because teams are you know expecting the big plays, so they're almost giving them the underneath those. And they're you know they learned against the Raiders the first time they play the Raiders that that's not going to work, so they switched up their game plan where they're going underneath a lot, working the run game, having balance, right, having these long drives, and that that just is going to make them better, right? And even if they had lost, the Chiefs had lost that game to the Raiders. I wouldn't; my opinion would not have changed. They still move the ball at will. They still; their defense isn't great, but is opportunistic. Um, but I don't see it happening where the Chiefs lose to to Pittsburgh, even though the Pittsburgh is undefeated. I still don't. I see. I see the the Chiefs being the class of AFC.
2: Uh, we lost two rookie quarterbacks yesterday. One to injury in Joe Burrow, and the other at least for a game, but they'll be back next week to Tua Tungafaloa because he just wasn't very good against Denver are you surprised he had a game like that or does that kind of make sense in what, what we've seen from Justin Herbert and what Joe was doing was not the norm and Tua just looked like a guy who was confused yesterday
6: yeah, you know what, Tua just looked like a rookie quarterback. And, you know, we've been spoiled with Burrow, Herbert coming in here and looking like all 10-year vets, right, already. And, and you know, we were really surprised. But Tua, he's going to be okay. He He actually has the best team out of those other two quarterbacks in Cincinnati and L.A., right, and the best coaching staff. And, you know, it's surprising. But when these young quarterbacks go to bad teams – and in the case of Joe Burrow, this is what you expect. You know They're going to throw the ball a lot because when you're a bad team, you're usually behind. You're going to throw the ball. They're going to get hit a lot because when you're a bad team, your old line isn't as good, right? And you're going to be coming from behind. So the, the combining the fact that you have to throw a lot and then you have less protection and, you know, that's what you're going to see. You're going to see a quarterback go, Burrow led the league, and it hits, right? Hits on a quarterback. And he has – and that's kind of what you're going to the result you expect you know a guy getting hit a lot you know you, you don't want to see it it's unfortunate because you know we were just robbed of a great rookie quarterback and probably the rookie of the year um, with him and it's it's unfortunate but that's that's kind of what you expect not what you expect but that's what it's kind of the byproduct of being a bad team and having a rookie quarterback back there because you know they're going to get hit you're going to be behind you're going to have to throw the ball a lot but you uh, know the prayers are for Joe, Joe Burrow because, you know, he just, he was a fantastic player. He made the best thing about him this year is he made Cincinnati interesting. He made, you know what I mean? Yes, he yeah. has not been interesting for a long time. And this year I was actually tuning in to see, you know, what he was going to do. So that's unfortunate, but to get to your point about Tua, he just looked like a rookie quarterback to me. I was watching that game and you know, all the things that he was, he's been great at, you know, the release, the release was there, but it seemed like he wasn't seeing the defense the same way he, he, he has been also, uh, you gotta give credit to Denver. Denver's O line and D line was unbelievable in that game. They controlled the line of scrimmage, so they they went to they went to Ryan Fitzpatrick. It wasn't. I think the coach said it wasn't because of injury. It was more because of performance. And Fitzpatrick came in there and he was, you know, he had a chance to watch the game from the sideline and dissect what was going on. And he was a little bit more effective to the end. But I look for Tua to, to to kind of learn from this and see the things that Fitzpatrick was doing better, and, and it kind of light the fire under him, and he'll respond. He's a, he's a winner. He's a champion. He'll respond. But he looked like a rookie, and this is, we've been spoiled. But and it looks it, it looks even more damning because we haven't expected rookies to look like this because we've been spoiled with Burrow and. Um, and Herbert, but, you know, that's that's what rookie quarterbacks look like. I mean, you look back to some of the best in history, Peyton Manning, you know, leading the league in interceptions his first year. Eli Manning was even worse, you know what I mean? So this is, uh, we've been spoiled, but Tua just looked like a rookie and I expect him to bounce back.
1: Yeah, maybe maybe Justin Herbert gets a little more love and consideration. I know the record's not great, but man, twenty two touchdowns and six picks for a rookie. Like it's pretty remarkable what the kid's doing. Hey, we got twenty seconds because we got uh Sonya Aslam ready to jump on in here. We do not want to make Sonia mad here. But Nate, uh quick look at the Monday nighter tonight. Rams, Bucks. I mean try to get a clearer sense of what the NFC landscape looks like here tonight.
6: Yeah, big big game, big game. Rams, Bucks. Uh, this is this is a huge one. LA is looking to you know bounce back, and uh, Tampa Bay's looking to show that they're a good team against good opponents. I'm looking for a, a shootout type, type of game, and um, I'm just ready. I've got my popcorn ready. I'm ready to go. Let's not make Sonya mad. I like the Tampa Bay in this game.
1: <laughs> All right, buddy. You take care and stay safe out there, and have fun in that lockdown that- back in Toronto. All right. Okay,
6: take care, guys. You too.
1: There he is. Nateia Jay from the All Ball Podcast joining us here this morning on Sportsnet 650. From down the hall we go now to our uh, News 1130 colleague, Sonia Aslov, who brings hiccups to the table this morning. Have you got rid of them yet?
5: Really? Pretty much. Yeah, I'm just dealing with them. <laughs> so I'm trying to keep them at bay so this uh, whole segment isn't a mess.
2: What's your strategy? Some say a paper bag, try and breathe in, or some say drink water from the other end of the cup. Do you have any strategy to get rid of What? Them?
5: Uh, I don't carry paper bags with me, and um, no. Have you never
2: heard? Get a glass of water and drink it from the far side of the glass so your chin's essentially in the glass. Maybe it's just some stupid Polish joke that my mom put on me when I was six, and I continue to do. Well, Per, there was
1: also the getting – to have somebody scare the crap out of you, right? That was the other way. That was the other theory to try to get rid of hiccups. But I don't know if in 2020, sneaking up on a woman – you know, in the office is probably appropriate yeah. these days. right? Also, so 2020
5: need- is scary enough, so I don't really need anyone to <laughs> scare me. The, so, yeah. And I'm not going to get mad if you guys make me wait. Jeez. All right. Well. Well, know. maybe I will. I don't want you Your
2: reputation, right? You oh, a reputation. no,
5: no, I'm a, I have a nice reputation. Your audience should love we're me. We're talking right now.
2: NFL. If you were an NFL player, you would just be a mean linebacker. Like you would lead a team.
5: So for the so audience you, who doesn't that... know, I'm a solid five feet on a good day. <laughs> I would no, not make man, a good no, quarterback. No, no,
2: I tell you, you were, you like, you're like Adam Big Hill. You just give it all. Every, you're a leader, Aslam. You are a leader.
5: There you go. Yeah. No, the smallest quarterback in NFL
1: history. <laughs> Aslam, yeah. uh, how, I mean, we were just talking, I mean, from a football standpoint, yeah. uh, Chase Claypool, man, like uh, what a story here and, and really kind of putting Abbotsford, British Columbia on the map for anybody south of the border that didn't know what the what Abbotsford was just a just a few weeks ago.
5: Yeah. Fraser Valley. What's up? Yeah, it's nice. He's he's obviously living up to the hype Uh that there was for him. And, you know, to me, it's yes, 10, 10 TDs and 10 games is amazing, but also it's, I like his character. You know, he seems like a really good guy. He's a good kid. Uh, last month he found out that a fan in Abbotsford, um, their dad had been diagnosed with dementia and he was obviously losing his memory. So he sent a signed Jersey to him and just sent along a really nice message stuff like that always stands out to me you know the the, the true character mm-hmm. of an athlete to me speaks volumes compared to what they do on the court or on the ice or on the field so i really like that nice
2: yeah no that's that's how you build a fan base yeah. uh what's going on in the news world this monday morning
5: nothing I'm just kidding. Um, We have a third vaccine. Yes. 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 Oh, do we? Yes. We have a third vaccine candidate that's doing really, really well. It's AstraZeneca. Uh, The feds have already secured 20 million doses of this, a part of all of their contracts. So Canada will get some should this one be approved. They're saying it's 90% effective. And this comes after a bunch of research with uh, researchers at Oxford. So it's a smart vaccine. But um, this is our third vaccine in like uh, three weeks, four weeks. So With positive results too, right? With positive results that are all over 90% to 95% effective. And what we're waiting for now is uh, someone has to approve them. (laughs) Once they're approved and we can figure out how to get them where they need to go, then... You know, we're looking at the next few months. The and the thing with this new one this morning is that this one doesn't have to be kept at super cold temperatures. One of the ones with the Pfizer one, it, it has yeah. to be kept really, 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 really cold. And people are like, "Oh, just put it in like a fridge," and you're like, "No, no, it's science. It needs to be kept much colder than just your fridge." So uh, that's that's the good news with this one is it'll be easier to get where it needs to go.
1: Yeah, and if it, uh, and so that's that's encouraging here as. You know, as we see, what, lockdown starting in the east uh, in Toronto starting today, I
5: think, Sonia? Yeah, so over the weekend, people were packing the malls because everyone is worried about Christmas shopping. Their lockdown won't possibly end until right before Christmas. So this weekend, it was packed. People were shopping like crazy because you're so scared that we're not going to be able to go out again until next year. You know, there's only, what, five weeks left in the year Uh, So they go into full lockdown today. That means no spas, no gyms. Uh, Restaurants are open, but for takeout only or um, for delivery. But everything else, everything is closed. The only thing open right now in Toronto are daycares and schools. Everything else is shut down.
2: Why was the first thing you said that was closed, the spa? Is that like your routine? Like, was that was that? No, just a but default? you know what? I
5: wouldn't mind going to one because <laughs> I need it. <laughs> I think we all need a little bit of break, a little R and R. So um, I've Not been a, to a whole lot of
2: people being pampered in 2020.
1: No. And
5: I haven't been to a spot all this year. You know, it's nice to go get a massage yeah. or a facial, but nope. I, I mean, didn't... if there was
1: ever a year to have a stranger put their hands on you, right? It is
5: 2020. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah.
5: And then yeah, pay them for been, it.
1: Like, really? Uh, uh, can you just rub that lower part of my back? Yeah, with the... Did you good. wash those no, hands? Sure, sure, sure.
5: Also, here's a lot of money for it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, no, I've been, I haven't I've done that, but for sure, yeah, no, but, you know, hair salons, spas, when yeah. we didn't have the ability to get a haircut here, you know, I'm sure your guys' hair was a mess. No offense.
1: I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> it's well, funny, I was actually, actually just thinking, I was I was actually just going through some pictures to put together for uh, my parents, just to kind of send them, just on scrolling through the phone over the, the last, like, what, 11 months of 2020, yeah. and you kind of look and stop for a moment, you go, oh, man. Like, what a year.
5: Right? I'm a mess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> if you
1: look yeah. at, yeah, that's it. Like, there's a stretch. Like, Perry, you had a pretty good beard going, too. Like, it was, I mean, there's yeah. points where you go, man, like, you just kind of gave up all sorts of personal hygiene for a stretch, I think.
5: I think a lot of people did. Like, Chris Wallace did, you guys, the sports <laughs> updates. He, he looks like he's in prison now. Yeah, but like, that's on a good day. Like, he did oh, that in 2017. Man. Yeah, it's not a good look, man. No. Not a good yeah. look. Like I think not, people are going
2: I, back there, right? We went through it in the summer. Then we cleaned up for the fall. And now I'm like, my hair is yeah. kind of getting a little out of control. I'm so like, go oh, get everything done now. I want to go to a shop now.
5: Yeah. Yeah, yeah but then go yeah. now. Go get, like, a nice haircut. Maybe go get one of those hot shaves. Isn't that a thing that guys do? Uh, I don't need
2: to be that close to people
5: right okay. now. Okay. All right. right. Well, I guess Some you can't listen. wear a mask. That's true.
1: Thanks, Aslam. Thanks, boys. Yeah, if there was ever a time—if there was ever a time—there we go. <laughs> Sonia Aslam from the News 11:30 newsroom breaking it down. More positivity. Another vaccine. There you go. We're getting closer and closer. 26 minutes after seven o'clock. Uh, big week for the National Hockey League, as uh, man the lines kind of been drawn in the sand between the NHL and the players. Can cooler heads prevail? We'll get into that story and much, much more. All still ahead here on your home in the Canucks Sportsnet 6:50.
0: This is The Starting Lineup with James Sobalski and Perry Solkowski on Sportsnet 650.
1: 7.32 on this Monday morning. A reminder to this hour of the starting lineup, a presentation of Dunbar Lumber, the smart alternative. Visit Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street in Ladner, Arbutus Street in Vancouver, or check them out online at dunbarlumber.com. Sabalski, Solkowski, kicking it with you on the midway mark of this uh, Monday edition of The Starting Lineup. And, this has got to be a huge week for the National Hockey League, I'm thinking, Pair, if, if Gary Bettman's dream is to drop the puck January 1st, you know, you got to put the squabbling and the bickering aside and figure something out and look at the reality and say, okay, let's try to get something done uh, because you got U.S. Thanksgiving on Thursday. You know, things are going to shut down for a few days for the holiday season. And if you want to try to drop the puck sooner rather than later, You better try to work on getting something done here.
2: Well, I think last week was the first time that from the public we found out there was some bitterness and had heard the stories about the players really being unhappy. Listen, and and anybody from a players association and plays in this league who was shocked by what they heard, well, I don't have a lot of sympathy. I mean, you had to realize that what you signed in in the summertime and you weren't going to go, no, no, I get my full contract. There's been enough people in the media saying that deferred payments it's going to be a little bit more... You knew your paycheck was going to be exactly what you had thought. So I can understand the acrimony and kind of the really that's what we have to do. And it did seem like there was a fair bit of business bitterness. Give them the weekend to cool. See if they can start talks today. Uh, it's a short work week down in the States and with Thanksgiving being on Thursday, I don't think they get much done other than to maybe clear the air and say, Hey, we've got to figure this out. So James, I would say next week, when you roll up the sleeves and get going because, you know, what happened this weekend? We watched uh, our NFL football. People watched the college football. And you heard about loads of contract signings still happening right now in the NBA because they're getting ready to go. I mean, they know they're playing basketball in a month's time. For hockey to be at that possible January 1st deadline, I don't think it happens. never did. But even January 15th, I think you're down to a couple weeks to go figure it out because you're going to have players coming from around the world, throw a couple weeks in there, throw in a couple weeks for a training camp. So we've just killed a month off the calendar, my friend, and that gets you into the middle of, you know, end of December almost. So I agree. It is it is a key time, and the NHL has always been that one union where with the league it seemed in the last 3 or 4 years they were in shape they were in sync with what they were doing and for there to be some bitterness and not get this going forward they cannot afford to have that happen to their fans and to their game
1: you know and it's it's a bad look right when you when you're squabbling mm-hmm. over money and and i just think the public perception uh i think for the average fan Oftentimes, people look at, you know, they'll gripe at the players wanting more money. And look, I mean, this essentially becomes a disagreement between millionaires and billionaires, right? So, (laughs) you know, but at the same time, like, I've typically been, you know, in my lifetime, I've been a team players guy. I've always kind of, you know, hey, from a player standpoint, get what you can. But this year is so funky. It's so different that... You don't think that... I mean, NHL owners would love to have fans in the stands, right? It's just not happening. And from the time that the CBA was agreed to in the extension four or five months ago, man, like, this world has gone backwards, right? I mean, it just announced Mm -hmm. this morning here that Ontario reporting just under 1,600 cases this morning as they start a lockdown. Right? Like, they're going ba- like they're going backwards in a huge wave. They start a lockdown, you know, here in our province, right? Like, we've had orders to kind of stay in your hood. Don't hang out with anybody. Right? And so, look, I-, I think we're all feeling it as much as we've all looked at America and go, oh, man, it's crazy what's going on there. I mean, we're feeling it here, too. And I get it, man. If you're a player, it sucks to be told that – Okay, I'm going to lose 20% of my salary right off the top to the escrow, and I'm going to take another 10% in salary deferral. So now we're almost taking 30% off, you know, right off the top, right? And then the tax man's going to come in, whether it's the IRS in America or everybody's favorite CRA here on this side of the border. So now if like if you're if you're making a million dollars, like look at an Adam Goddat's salary pair you take mm-hmm. you'd make it a million dollars ballpark and you'd take thirty percent so now you're down to about seven hundred thousand now revenue Canada comes in and you're probably looking at another forty percent lopped off from that like you're you know you're making you're basically going to take home less than half you know when you factor in your agent fees as well like you're gonna take home less than half of what your actual salary is you know and and i i can understand i can understand that sort of uh, unfortunate feeling but man like I, again this is a public battle you will not win as a player this time around not when you've got millions of people across this country collecting serb right now to try to top up their income it's just it's a bad look it's a bad look to squabble and just ask major league baseball 6 months ago
2: Well, it is, and they were in a different neighborhood than the players. Players came, they went to the bubble. They don't get played for the postseason, so they did that. And I'm not going to say they did it on goodwill. They wanted to finish their season, and the league wanted to finish it. But you can't look back and see a document that was signed in the summertime. No one had a crystal ball when they signed it. And guess what? They would be getting their full salary if the players could uh, play in front of people, but they can't. And, yeah, taxes hurt, deferrals hurt. Last night of the Monday Night Football game, Al Michaels not so directly talking about Derek Carr and Al Michaels brought up the fact, you know, Derek Carr in conversation, you know, what's it like to play in Las Vegas? Well, without going into it, Derek Carr was kind of going, you know what, I don't call California home anymore. And if you've ever seen the taxes in California, take a peek to what I make now in Nevada, right? So when yeah. you're dealing with $100 million contracts, Derek Carr was kind of insinuating, hey, I'm making an extra $20 million essentially now living in Las Vegas. So, yeah, it is tough. But those numbers right now to the public, they don't want to hear about it. They don't want to hear about it when you're – you're shutting down more restaurants. They don't want to hear about it when Serb continues to grow and wonder people how we're going to get through this whole thing. So, yeah, it's disappointing. But Ed Jovanowski said it with guys skating in Florida when we had him on on Wednesday, as we do every Wednesday morning at 7. Hey, yeah, it's got to hurt. But, uh, you know, $300,000, 400000 better than nothing. And I know you can't put that out there from a public perception, but at some point as a players' association – there's really nowhere to go. You cannot like what Gary Bettman is saying, but it's not like he's hiding numbers from you. All you have to do is look around. You might have a few people in arenas that would be allowed to come in their particular states, but the owners are not making any cash right now other than here's what we're getting for sponsorship. Here's what we got from a TV deal. But if you guys don't play, that TV is not going anywhere. You're going to be making less money now. So think short-term pain for long-term gain. That's what they got to think
1: of right now. Yeah, uh, Carl texting in on the Dunbar Lumber text line at six fifty six fifty, saying, "You know, poor guys. I went from making a hundred thousand dollars to just over forty k, right? Like, so I mean, a lot of people are in this same boat, you know. But from a pro athlete standpoint, from a National Hockey League standpoint, you know, worst case scenario, guys are still in the in the heavy six figures, right? So." I, I can mm-hmm. understand. Like this is not a public relations battle that the players are going to win. Now, there's been some talk. Play, some player representatives and player agents have suggested here over the last few days that, you know, the NHL could uh, the players could conceivably sue right for essentially a breach of of contract for the the collective bargaining agreement, and they and they might have a legitimate case, but. Look, I don't, I don't think that's going to happen. I think a few, cooler heads are going to prevail here. I think everybody just needed a few days to kind of catch their breath. Um, you know, Pear, and, and maybe waiting this through the holiday season, get through U.S. Thanksgiving and maybe address this next week. But, you know, I think the idea of January 1st doesn't seem like that's going to happen now unless cooler heads can prevail here in the next couple of days. But you really only have three days to work with this week. Right. Because offices are going to shut down on Thursday, you know, Friday. You know, then you've got, you know, Black Friday and that kind of, you know, it's essentially a four day holiday weekend for the United States. Right. And so it's hard to imagine something getting done this week. But I do think that there is a sense of urgency now from the National Hockey
2: League. Uh, Well, there has to be. Right. There has to be. And but I just don't know what does the National Hockey League give? That's what I've said to you. If they've said January 1st, January 1st, they may look like a gift by giving them January 15th, right?
1: But expand the playoffs again. Like, you yeah. know what? You want to increase revenues? More playoffs, right? And do that for the duration of this of this collective bargaining agreement. So do those plans. The NBA is doing it again this year. You know what? I think we all enjoyed that Wild Canuck series. And whether we want to say, oh, it messes with the playoff numbers, whatever. You know what? Having those seven to ten seeds, eight against nine, I think it works it's expanded revenue make it happen and i think that should be something that the players should insist upon anything to, to anything that can help generate more revenue right now i think both sides need to look at and say let's make it work
2: well then so so you kind of take the cba and go okay get a, get away from the money standpoint if this is what we have to give up and give back how do we change it i think you would have hey that that idea seems pretty simple to me we enjoyed what we witnessed you're bringing Seattle in. You have to make a change to 16 teams at some point because you've been adding and doing nothing else. Maybe this is the impetus that forces Gary Bettman to go, let's look at it. Um, but the one thing we agree on, time is ticking. You know, we're, Before you know it, we're at the end of November. You're not playing hockey that quick. Get it going. Figure it out. Get it out of the spotlight. I know Elliot and all the insiders are there. Somehow keep it away from them. You did it in the summertime when the focus was elsewhere figure it out now and get the game back and at least give fans a data circle and go here's where it starts again and we can have a little sense of normalcy as we go into
1: 2021 all right 7:43. your canucks commute coming up at the top of the clock we'll talk to Corey hirsch uh sportsnet 650 hockey analyst in just a few minutes in a moment uh boy oh boy did a former xfl start cost an nfl head coach's gig we'll get into that with no bs just ps next here on sportsnet 650
0: It's all P.S., no B.S., right here on The Starting Lineup.
2: Let's get to it. All the facts and figures, maybe not the big headlines that happen in the day in sports, but let's tell you nothing but uh, P.S., everybody. No B.S. on this show. Best story on the weekend, P.J. Walker cut 12 times. A practice roster player, XFL, he just wanted a chance. He got a surprise start an hour before the Carolina Panthers game. He was told he was starting. He went on to win. It's something his mom believed, not just two days ago. This is something his mom saw a year ago.
7: It's crazy because uh, I didn't actually envision this start. My mom did uh, about a year and a half ago, two years ago. She called me, and she was like, man, I had a dream that you was uh, playing with the Panthers. And I was in, i was with the uh, coach still at the time. And uh, had a, she, she like, I had a dream you was playing for the Panthers. And I'm like, really? That's, that's weird, you know, just me being in Indianapolis at the moment and uh, life just come full circle man and her dream came true Mine's did too today
2: you know what James I tell you I I love the post game clips when it's something like that he was good Matt Patricia may lose his job Lions are terrible but good on a guy like that representing a lot of guys chasing a dream and he had it at least for one night one afternoon hopefully he gets another shot again but good for him
1: you know you look at The Steelers were one of the busiest teams in the offseason to go out and sign former XFL players, right? And the plan is to reboot this league again in 2021. You know, it's, it's still a haven for guys who maybe slipped through the cracks of the National Football League, but we've seen some guys that have landed jobs from the XFL into the NFL. Let's see if it continues. But obviously there were some players who could play, and it was less about the gimmicks. And more about just the actual talent on the field last year, Pair
2: They got off to a good start. It was something that, yeah, if you can revive it again, it may work. Uh, P.S., great football game last night. Now, I have never been a big Derek Carr fan because uh, he didn't do anything for me one year when I had some fantasy football. But you know what? It was fun to watch him. More fun to listen to him last night.
0: James Harden, Mike. Hey. James Harden.
2: He had a James Harden. He had a Chris Mullins audible. He had a Pistol Pete Maravich Audible. And then he also had this. Who can take a sunrise? Sprinkle it with you. Thank you. He had a Sammy Davis, too. Man, he has embraced Las Vegas. It was fun to watch. Now, here's what people got out of it. Because, you know, do you want to hear an Audible or something? And then you watch what happened. Someone noted when he called James Harden. When he called Chris Mullins, they were all runs to the left. And they're wondering, is when he calling them, is he giving the guys were running to the left or were running to the right? Fun to listen to last night.
1: Uh, running to the left of me, running to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Mm-hmm. Eh? <laughs> I have
2: no idea what the play was when he called Sammy Davis. But, boy, maybe a rat pack. Maybe it was just... Follow the lead balker and stay together.
1: <laughs> Give the ball to Will.
2: Yeah, uh, PS uh, or I formation. I don't I shouldn't say that, but yeah, you know, Sammy Davis. Uh, hey, <laughs> PS shout out <laughs>
1: It took a second. Took a while to, it took, it took, took a, a second while to get the Delta it's Monday. It? I got it. I got it.
2: <laughs> shout out to Lola Holmes who this past couple weeks uh well she's not getting on the ice soon but she found the record books guinness book of the world records has recognized her as the oldest curler honored by them this month at 102. man like, I don't know. I I haven't curled in probably 10 years, and I curl maybe once every 10 or 15 years. But when I try and throw a rock, the next day I can barely get up because it hurts so much to actually stretch like that. I don't know how she's doing it, but at 102, shout out to Lola, Vancouver lady, who's still trying to curl. And As soon as the pandemic's over, we'll get on the ice in the Vancouver Club. Wow. And she's
1: 100? And she's, uh, she's 100.
2: 102. 102. Yeah.
1: You know, there was there were. This kind of speaks to just uh, the the warp Szwalski's sense of humor and and just how sarcastic and as much a jerk that my twelve year old might be as me. Uh, but a few years ago, we were at a, a little get together. And there was uh, there was an elderly gentleman who was there who was 104, And and I just wanted to make a point of just saying hello to this gentleman. And he had such a wonderful story. War hero. He was a pro boxer at one point. He was a pro baseball player. Like just a really neat story. And I and I made a point to bring the kids over just to say hi to this gentleman. Right? I was like, man, this is a national treasure here. Like this, you know. And as we walked away, as we were leaving later on in the evening, there was some fireworks going on and. My daughter, who I think was like eight at the time, she kind of looks at me and she's like, good thing they didn't put those fireworks too close to uh, that guy who was 104, right? I'm like, "Uh, why? What do you mean? And she kind of makes the motion to like, you know, having the heart attack. Heart attack. I'm like, "Uh, you're just such (laughs) a jerk. I love you, kid. You're just like your dad.
2: (laughs) Yeah, that is your daughter. And finally, we saw what Patrick Mahomes did last night. Great protection again.
0: Mahomes to the end zone. Wide open. Touchdown, Kelsey.
2: Uh, You love your collectibles. Uh, There is a Patrick Mahomes signed high school baseball from the White House Wildcats. All the guys signed it in high school, and then someone realized, oh, one of them turned into Patrick Mahomes. Bidding James is starting at $500 for his signed high school baseball what might it go for well the only thing they can kind of measure it a michael jordan high school baseball sold years ago for $30,000 if you're interested there's one out there patty mahomes signed baseball not bs everybody yeah. that is just ps today
1: i don't think it's going for 30k
2: someone's paying 5 for it yeah, maybe. maybe
1: a couple, yeah, maybe a couple, a couple thousand dollars. I and mean, I, I can't put Pat Mahomes. And I, I love me some Pat Mahomes action, but I don't think Pat Mahomes is in the Michael Jordan conversation just yet. I
2: hear you. I hear you.
1: Yeah. Uh, your Canucks commute is just around the corner. We're going to catch up with an old friend, our Sportsnet 650 Canucks analyst, Corey Hirsch, going to drop by to the conversation next, right here on your home of the Canucks Sportsnet 650.
0: <music> Spicing up your morning drive with the Canuck Commute. I think Harry didn't think I was in
3: good enough shape and claims he beat me in the run at training camp, which was far from true. (laughs) And uh, Harry couldn't have beat me if he was on a bike. But but anyway, uh, you
0: know what? It, it, It is what it is. This is the starting lineup with James Cebulski and Perry Solkowski.
1: It's your Canucks commute. Uh, There's former uh, Canucks uh, fifth overall draft pick from 1979. Uh, Rick Vibe sharing a story. He's got a new book out. It's kind of a real teller. But uh, explains why he was uh, shipped out of Vancouver, that uh, Harry Neal felt that uh, Vibe was out of shape. They had a race, and Harry allegedly won at least in Harry's opinion. But uh, vibe going on to, uh, what, three 50-goal uh, seasons with the Leafs? Uh, several more years with 30-plus uh, goals as well, uh, and ultimately being named captain uh, during a, a time that the Leafs were terrible. But, um, yeah, only got, what, 50 games, uh, or even less than 50 games as uh, a member with the Vancouver Canucks when they took him fifth overall back in 1979. Yeah,
2: and you know, you know what? Considering the numbers he put up, we always go Cam Neely, Cam Neely, and maybe that's because of the conversation. But really, Rick Vive had a good career uh, when he left Vancouver. I mean, the guy could play. He could score. Didn't work.
1: No, I mean, there was a, a 10-year window where he was pretty much an automatic for 30 goals annually, right? Um, it, this is your Canucks commute here on this uh, Monday morning. Sibalski, Silkowski, and uh, Corey Hirsch will join us here in just a couple of minutes. Uh, I guess we can all breathe a little easier knowing that Braden Holtby's got his Turtles across the border here, Pair, Life is easy.
2: Listen, I was stressful for the Turtles and the Holtby family, uh, we have we had um, uh, Stephen Wino, Associated Press hockey writer, who was based in Washington earlier uh, on our show at 6 o'clock. And we asked him actually about Braden Holpe, and he said, man, I'll tell you what, forget the hockey player. Um, and he goes, I think he's got a lot more to give, and maybe the system in front of him in Washington over the last year wasn't quite the way Todd Rudin was, was running things. But he said Vancouver has himself a uh, wonderful, wonderful a contributor in himself and his wife Brandy to the family um, because it's, it's fantastic as to what they do and what they mean. Um, So uh, yeah, it, it will be interesting to see what he can bring to the table um, and what he can pull off here.
1: Uh, obviously, we had touched on uh, earlier this morning a big week, I think, ahead for the NHL and the Players Association to see if they can kind of let cooler heads prevail here and work out an agreement to try to get one step closer to a return to play. But here we are in the last week in November, and, uh, you know, we've we've seen a lot of words over the last week. Uh, players feeling betrayed, blindsided, angry at the NHL's, uh, at the owner's suggestion that they'd like uh to see players uh, take on a little more escrow here uh with this uh, agreed to collective bargaining agreement that was just signed sealed and delivered what 4 or 5 months ago and uh there's some there's some animosity now and what has you know what for the better part of the last 5 years there's been a really good working relationship i would say between the players and the owners probably the best we've seen in the last 30 years or so and for this to come up now Uh, hopefully cooler heads can prevail and people can see what the bigger picture is here because um, it's exactly that pair. I mean, you know, the NFL's found a way to keep going, and business as usual. Um, Major League Baseball, it wasn't pretty at first, and it was a bad look for those guys and to, to go and bicker and squabble before ultimately agreeing to a 60-game season. Uh, and the NBA is now 29 days away. I mean, signings are happening, business is up and running, and the NBA is ready to go full steam ahead for December 22nd. You know, the NHL has nothing concrete announced. This is hockey season. You know, there's snow on the ground. It's blanketed most of this country outside of, uh, around here. You know, this is a time that, you know, people will hunker down and crave their hockey. This is the time of the year you take that advantage of that opportunity, and there's no word on anything in sight at this point. They've got to figure out something sooner rather than later.
2: And there's a finish line, right? And I think that's what's different, the finish line being, that, you know, NBC has a big TV contract in the middle of July. They think there still will be an Olympics, and they don't want hockey to be going on along with the Olympics. So when you're looking at it and you're going, oh, it's uh, we're, we'll get in in February, well, it's not like you can take it to August or September because that was the thought process when they were trying to get the postseason. No, there's a definite finish line. So the longer it goes, you know, the less the schedule is, the less games you play, the less money you make. So there's pressure on both sides, pressure from the league to get playing because the NBA will be up and going. You're going to have NBA. You're going to have the NFL getting into their playoffs. College football will have bowl games and people are going, what's going on? What's going on with the NHL? So you've got to be playing. I think you have to be playing by the middle of January. And to get that done, you're going to have to get something finished. Finished. Uh, not this week. I would say uh, because you got a short week with American Thanksgiving, but you need something done in the next two weeks, and I, I think the players will realize that after the bitterness they might have felt last week. Um, but they're they've got to play hockey if they want a paycheck. If they don't want a paycheck, that don't think you're going to see salaries escalate anytime soon, to be absolutely kill the business if they don't get something done here.
1: Hundred percent. Let's bring in our Sportsnet 650 uh, Canucks analyst, uh, Mr. Corey Hirsch, who uh, enters the fold. Hirsch, how are you, man?
7: I'm doing good, man. How are you guys doing? What's, We're good. What's happening? It's we been, been a, chatted bit. In a while.
1: Yeah. Where are you right now?
7: Uh, I am snowy Toronto.
1: locked <clears throat> lockdown. Of
7: foot of snow. Foot and a half. Ugh. Too
1: it's sick?
7: gross. Yeah. Actually, I rather enjoyed it, though. That's pretty when it falls. But then, yeah. as we know, snow the next day is gross. <laughs> snow <laughs> like, is okay, great if away. you don't
1: have to drive in it. Right, Pear? Like, wouldn't you say? Like, you don't as long as you don't have to drive in it. Snow is awesome.
7: As long as you have a sunny sky.
2: Yeah, sunny sky.
7: Yeah, it's sunny today. So, so we're we're golden. We're good. Um, what's shaking down there? You know, I guess uh, we're all just waiting to see what's going to happen. Players giving the big uh, middle finger to the uh, <laughs> the NHL. It sounds like to me. I don't know what else is going on, but it's uh, this might get uglier before it gets better.
2: Well, but they can't afford to have that happen. Hershey Elliott reporting. You know, getting out of the Ontario mess is Connor McDavid. He's skating with Austin Matthews in Arizona. Jonathan Taves has joined him now. It seems like Shane Doan's got a little camp. You should be in Arizona because they're looking for goalies there. So those guys are getting prepared because they think they're playing hockey and playing hockey sooner rather than later. Wouldn't you agree that's the mindset for everybody? as much as it sounded like the news last week was tough to swallow, fact is if you want a paycheck, you've got to play in January, and this is no time to make kind of some any kind of financial stand.
7: Yeah, so as far as players go, it's typically a month before you would start kind of skating with your buddies, right? Um, For guys to be down in Arizona right now in the winter just tells me that uh, there's ice down there and guys are starting to go there more and more just to skate because they're probably bored out of their minds, right? They can't golf now if you're in Ontario or, or Alberta or wherever, so that's out. Can't go on the lakes, right? You can't really do anything, so you might as well go train and skate somewhere down where it's sunny and warm. And everything's shut down here again. So, that's what I see what's happening. I would probably, if I was a player, I'd probably be thinking, I got to start skating, at least working out, trying to at least once, you know, skate maybe two, three times a week right now um, until they figure this out because it will get figured out. We'll have a season, but uh, nobody knows when. I, January 1, I, I don't really see January 1, but, you know, but they, they pulled it off in the summer, so who knows what they can do.
1: You know, the, the encouraging thing with this, though, Hershey, and, and you, you've been on, you've seen both sides of the equation where, you know, you've worked for teams, uh, you've also been a player as well. Like, the relationship up until probably six days ago, like, the relationship with the
7: National Hockey
1: League and the players has probably been as peas and carroty as it's been in probably the last 30 years, wouldn't you say?
7: yeah I, I i thought it was everything was good here's the thing about all this though is is that there comes a point where the owners go it's not worth it for us to play i'll lose more money playing than i will uh as an owner than we will you know playing so it's like not playing so when you look back at the lockout back in like uh, 05 or 06 or whatever and the owners basically just said to the players look it it makes more sense for us not to play because we're losing our shirts right now with the salaries you guys want. And it's kind of the same scenario, but a different situation. You know, it's like, it's, it's still, because with no fans, the NHL doesn't make any money. doesn't make money. They, they, they rely on gate revenue. So you see football, baseball, basketball going and you're like, well, why doesn't hockey hockey can play too? that? Yes, they can play not due to COVID, right? Like COVID doesn't really have a a, a factor in the, the sickness part of it, but getting the fans in the building, the NBA, they're starting on the 22nd because Christmas day is a massive day for them. That's a massive revenue TV day for them. So yes, they're going that cause they want that Christmas day. The NHL, whether they play or not, they don't have that TV revenue, like football, baseball, basketball, right? Like they need fans in the, in, in the building. So the owners are like, until we can get fans in the building, I can't pay you what you want. Right. Because, and that, that's kind of the sticking point right now.
2: That's the interesting scenario because, you know, Gary Bettman speaks for the owners and Hershey, you know, there's rumblings are the owners, like you said, at least some of them going, you know, this really sucks, but if yeah. I still have to deal with the payroll, that's going to cost me forty-five million, and not eighty. Uh, I'd rather just wait it out to maybe next October, and hope by then the vaccine's in place and we're going to open yep. up and people are going to embrace our game. It's not the you know you think Gary Bettman's completely and all the owners get him in there, Gary, get him in there. Some of them may quietly gone. Actually, it wouldn't hurt me if we don't play.
7: Yeah, and look at if you look at the NHL, here's how it goes: a third of the teams make money like a lot of money, half a third of the teams break even and a third of the teams lose money. So if you're 10 of those teams that lose money, you're like, I, I worked, I was in St. Louis. I know what, I know what they're, they need gate revenue. Like they, they were filing for assistance when I was there and they were even selling out their buildings. So they need, you know, this is St. Louis. So that's a team you've got Columbus, they need it. Uh, you know, there. you can go on and on with a list of teams that need social, that need the assistance with, Uh, From the NHL, from the teams that make money, right? So the the pot really isn't the money's not going to be there for those teams, and uh, so you've got a third of the teams that are going to say it just makes it makes no sense for us to play. I'm going to lose way more money than than if we did play, and that's and then you've got half the teams that break even, they're going to lose money. So you've probably got half the league going, you know, just like that lockout saying, you know, makes sense for us just to not. Just to shut down because I'll lose less money shutting down than I will if we play. <laughs>
1: yeah, it's what's the
7: lesser of evils,
1: right? Right. Uh, so yeah. yeah, to change gears I mean, your your Leafs, first, Yeah,
7: you know? your Leafs, your Rangers. I mean, they're gonna make Boston like they're they they're gonna make money. Okay, but let's, it's the rest the rest of the league, you know.
1: Yeah, let, let, let's get away from the uh the dollars and cents of this for a second I just wanted you to put your uh, your goalie coach hat on here or your goalie hat on here first did you see the NHL's net the NHL Network's top 10 goalies
7: list I did not I, I uh, where did I miss that I saw the players okay. list
1: yeah so they, they, where did they I miss the goalies they, list? they dropped it last oh, yeah so they dropped it last night uh, on a Sunday night when everybody's looking for top 10 goalie oh, lists well. you know so yeah <laughs> uh, but but here here you go um here, your top 10 goalies Determined by the NHL Network is as followed. Number one, Andre Vasilevsky, Tuka Rask, Connor Hellebuck at three. They go a little sideways here at number four with Ben Bishop. Four and five, they go sideways. Jordan Binnington at five. Carey Price, six. Darcy Kemper, seven. Robin Leonard, eight. Jacob Markstrom nine and Anton Hudobin ten. So the Dallas Stars have two of the top ten goaltenders in the league, according to the NHL Network.
2: It's wacky.
7: Well, I mean, those lists are all subject to right. <laughs> yes, it's like, totally. When I look, yeah, when I look at it, I mean, I like Vasilevsky. I like Tuka. I won't. I won't um, disagree
1: with Vasilevsky right now, based on what he's done consistently for the last what three years, and and to walk away with a cup. Yeah, I'd say that that's the bar right now.
7: Yeah. Right. I mean, and he was that good. Like I, I watch. And he played um,
1: every game, right?
7: Yeah. I, I, you know the. I'm still not sold on Hellebuck. Like I've watched him play. I like him, but I just I'm still not. Uh, number three. It's the yo-yo, and, right? Yeah. And where does Bennington fit at five, right? I mean, like, I, I, and I'm don't. a Bennington fan. Where does he fit at five? Can like, fans I, if five I had beer. that list yeah. and I was going, I got Bennington or Jacob Markstrom and I can have one or the other. Well, I mean, Bennington's younger, but I would probably take Jacob Markstrom for play him in the game tomorrow rather than Jacob or Jordan Bennington, right? Like, Like if you had two goalies you could play and you had to play tomorrow. I mean, that's where your list comes from. I think, you know, I wouldn't put Ben Bishop in over Jacob Markstrom right no. like yeah you know or you know who'd would i put him in over jacob markstrom probably not right like i mean there's <laughs> vasilevsky yes i would put him in would i put Kerry price in over connor hellebuck if i had a game to play tomorrow for everything yes. absolutely right like so they're all subjective and I, I appreciate that they put it out there but you know i i've got my own list in my own head I mean, I I'd be somewhere right, probably around five or six, if I was still able to play. But I mean, that's a whole other story. We <laughs> So here's the thing: you look at that,
2: you look at that list, guys, of ten guys. Uh, ben Bishop's
7: a Canadian, isn't he? Good. Uh, Ben Bishop's American. No, he's American. so Good. is yep.
2: Carey Price the only Canadian on that list?
7: Carey Price, as of right now, it looks like yes, you are so correct. the top Darcy is in the world. Camper is he, American. Darcy Kemper
1: is he not? Is he not from Alberta or no?
2: No, I thought Kemper was an American. I, either way, right. what I'm saying yeah. is yeah. we're talking of the 10 best goalies in the world, arguably, it's Saskatoon. and there's only so gotta, one Canadian. Canadian. Is that yeah. strange?
7: You know what? This, When I was to work for Hockey Canada about 10, 15 years ago, that was a, a serious issue that they were nervous about. Um, Darcy Kemper is Canadian. He's uh, Saskatoon. So they, you've only got two on the list. When Canada used to dominate that list, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's all, that's been a concern for a long time. Russia's producing a lot of good goalies right now. And I know that uh, Ian Clark goes over there quite a bit. He's got his hands, you know, on a lot of Russian goalies and, and that. Um, you know, Finland was when Tukarask was uh, back in the early 2000s, he was the guy. Um, Finland was producing a lot of goalies. It'll, it'll, it shifts, right? I and mean, right now they might. What's the a logic to it, Hershey. Yeah. Like, well, Bennington's Canadian too, as well. So you got three on that list. But, but like you said, we've got, you know, uh, just other countries have caught up with the, um, goaltending training they really did in the early 2000s uh when goaltending kind of shifted to the butterfly style uh that's when but that's when goaltending kind of changed and and finland went in i think in the late 90s early 2000s and said how are we going to compete with canada and they came up with the solution that they were just going to pump a lot of their funds into goaltending and it worked for them because they felt like they didn't have the uh number of players You know, registered players as Canada did. So how can they compete? And they felt that goaltending was the difference and they were right. And they produced a ton of good goalies. So other countries kind of followed suit. And it was all about how do we beat Canada? And it was and I was there when all this went down. Like I was I was in some of those meetings. Um, So that's kind of when the change happened.
1: Yeah, no, and and, I mean, you look at the benefit, like how Finland, since they've been investing into the goaltending position, how much they've benefited in the last, what, 15 years, right? I mean, how many great goaltenders we've seen out of that? It's,
4: um, I mean, that list, yeah, yeah. I mean,
1: again, it's a subjective list. It's great to, you know, just find something to have a a conversation, but I mean, it just feels so flawed that I I don't think there's anybody that you can make a case and, you know what, hey, Hudobin had a great run with the Dallas Stars. He really did, and it deserves everything he gets, but um, you know, to say that the Dallas yeah. Stars have two of the top ten goaltenders in the National Hockey League right now, like that's just not true. <laughs> like it's no. just not and right. goaltending.
7: A lot of times, the team you play for is makes it. You know, whether they play offensive, defensive, um, no. it makes a massive difference for guys. Um, but you know, as far as uh, um, you know, Canada has a lot of goaltending coaches. Everybody's a goaltending expert, and that's a bit of a problem too. And there's a lot of good goalie coaches out there, but there's there's everybody thinks they can coach goalies and that's not true right so um hockey canada's tried to put into place uh like a um you know like a rules or a like a program for goaltending coaching to try to make it consistent across the board because there's so many cooks in the kitchen
2: yeah there should
7: be some money maker well
2: yeah if if i played somewhere as a junior goalie could i not start my own goaltending school
7: absolutely and you know what you, you can charge kids 100 125 bucks an hour for a lesson if you got a good goalie i mean so got some some people and that's not the case there's a lot of good people out there teaching goalies and a lot of good goalie coaches but it's, it's some of it's, it's a money maker right and it's a big money maker you know you get 10 goalies at 100 bucks an hour you know it's a thousand bucks in your pocket on a saturday or you know or on a, or in a week that's and you see a lot of that across canada whereas other countries aren't quite like that Finland and Sweden and all that it's not they're part of the kind of the program so that's another issue too
1: you um it was uh, announced this morning that the Florida Panthers continue to add to their new management team uh they named Shane Churla the director of amateur scouting after the last seven seasons with the Habs uh, and he had been the last four seasons the club's director of amateur scouting. And uh, I think in these parts, Shane Churla, probably best known for the receiver of maybe one of the all-time nastiest elbows in NHL history from Pavel Bure. Were, were you with the Were you with the, Were were you with the team at that time? I I don't think so. Right? Do
7: you uh, remember no, that elbow? Not. Um, I didn't. I never got to play against Shane Churla, but he was tough. I do know he that he was tough. I mean, yeah, he was a tough man.
1: But Pavel yeah. almost I, uh, killed him.
7: Yeah. Bob, I mean, you learn as a superstar player, you got to get your elbows up. That's the first thing they teach you, <laughs> <laughs> right? Because <laughs> it's either you or them. Oh, um, I like what Florida's doing. I like that they they announced the the first black assistant uh, uh, assistant general manager. I, I I was blown away at that. Um, at that, I didn't know that that was even a. I, uh, I thought yeah. there had been others that had been, you know, colored assistant coaches, but that's ridiculous that it's taken this long. Um, there's lots of great, smart, um, you know, colored athletes out there that should be in, in some of those positions. Uh,
2: that that Florida team is run by, will that be run any different, Hershey?
7: By who, sorry? I'd by
2: agents, saying. right? You know, uh, Brent's a former agent, Zito yeah. a former agent. Does that change the making of a hockey team and having that many agents at the top of their food chain?
7: Uh, I don't, I think, you know, Mike Gillis was an agent before all that stuff. Um, and Mike Gillis was my agent. Um, you know, um, so I, I kind of, they know how this, they know how it works. They know the players, they know they might overvalue certain guys though. That's which can be a problem at times, but usually most of them have a pretty good handle on the game. Most are, are, you know, a lot of them have been lawyers too. So they understand the CBA. So, you know, it's all your scouting staff is a big part of it. Your scouting staff is a huge part of it, but ultimately at the end of the day, um, yeah, it's, you should have a a pulse on what's going on if you're an agent. Um, but that's, uh, and that's a tough business, man. Those, it's a cutthroat business out there to be an agent.
1: It's, it certainly has. I mean, Mike Barnett, uh, Gretzky's agent, uh, he took a swing at it, uh, with the coyotes. That didn't really, that didn't really work out. I mean, the conversation might be different if Gillis wins and hoists the Stanley cup in game number seven, in 2011. Right. Um, you know, had assembled a pretty good team. Uh, yes, yeah. and, and I know some, you know, the Gillis detractors will point, oh, well, he inherited some pretty good players. But you know what? It was still over his watch that they got to Game 7. He he did some really good things, too, yep. here for this team. Yeah, right he's now. a
2: former pro player, though, too, right? Yeah. yeah. Did, he, gotta, did he give you, you, you as much time as being your agent? Did you get as much attention as Nazzy would have from him?
7: Um, I ended up getting my own deals. <laughs> <laughs> really? <laughs> Mike was good, though, you know, in the sense that Mike um, – I ended up getting a couple of my own deals when, when I was later in my career. So I knew everybody and I would kind of just help out. And Mike was like, you know, you don't have to pay me. You got your own deal. You know, like he was, I didn't, I didn't end up paying him because, um, you know, so he was, he was good in that sense. He wasn't looking for a, a paycheck from, you know, anybody, but he was probably looking up for more of his, his bigger guys, which, you know, that's, that's, that's fine. That's, that's the way the the, the business is, but yeah, you know, and a lot of GMs inherit the team that they've gotten. And, and Mike did inherit a good team, but you got, you have to be able to pull the trigger on some big moves, right? Like you've got to be able to pull the, like in Tampa, uh, you know, they moved JT Miller, uh, signed Shattenkirk. Uh, like you got to be able to do certain things, right? Mm-hmm. And they ended up winning the Stanley cup. So Jim Benning's legacy is going to be based on his draft here. But if Jim Benning gets let go, it's going to be the next guy that's going to benefit from the, Quinn Hughes and the Pettersons and all that. Right. So, but if Jim Benning stays, it's going to be okay. Now, Jim, what have you done to get this team over the edge? What What have you done to make those deals? JT Miller was a great deal. Um, but it, it was also kind of a no brainer, right? Like, but you got to take some risks like Doug Armstrong took some big risks, um, you know, signing Tarasenko, getting steam, uh, you know, bringing certain guys in and then you use your draft. So you, that's going to be the next step for Jim Benning as to whether or not, you know, he, he gets to see this thing through is, is what's the big move that he's going to do to put this team over the hump.
1: For sure. Nice to catch up with you, man. It's been a while.
7: It has been a while. You know, I miss you guys. Uh, it's weird. Uh, not you? being working in October. Yeah, I do. <laughs> I do. Yeah. It's um, you know, but every once in a while, I'll turn on NHL 20 and I get to hear James's voice. Hey, are. And- there you go. <laughs> and Perry, I get to see you on Instagram. Your clean house for Christmas—it's beautiful. Thank you for posting that. <laughs> or was that your wife?
2: Uh, my wife showing up clean. House. There's, not, there's nothing that worth posting from my
7: standpoint. <laughs> All Stay right, safe, home, Hopefully,
2: uh, we're getting closer to you coming back, and uh, yeah. everybody talking about hockey games uh, night in and night out. But
7: we're uh, I'm with you, gentlemen. We're getting closer. It's going to happen. I just don't know when.
1: Stay safe. We'll talk to you
7: soon. Sounds good, gents. Ciao. All
1: right, there he is, Corey Hirsch, Sportsnet 650 hockey analyst, uh, joining us here on your Canucks commute on this Monday morning, 26 minutes after the hour. Uh, Boy, you know, we've talked about COVID-19 and the impact it's had on so many of us, uh, and it's impacting the Canadian World Junior squad as well, especially one name close to home here. We'll get to that next right here on your home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650.
0: to the starting lineup with James Sabolski and Perry Solkowski on the official home of the Canucks Sportsnet 650.
1: 8.32 on this Monday morning. A little wet out there this morning. Cebulski and Solkowski kicking it with you.
0: Uh,
1: hey, another great weekend for Chase Claypool of uh, Abbotsford with the Steelers. We'll get to that momentarily. Uh, but how about this store with the uh, World Juniors pair um, and a non- A non-core staff member of Team Canada tested positive for COVID-19 during uh, the Canadian World Junior Training Camp. And now it's impacted several members of the organization um, into a 14-day quarantine, including uh, Vancouver Giants head coach and assistant uh, Team Canada coach, Michael Dick, along with goaltending coach Jason LaBarbera. So now... They have to essentially doesn't matter what they test what they test for, uh, and even if they come back with multiple negative tests, they have to isolate for fourteen days.
2: And by isolate, uh, you're staying in a room. Like there'll be no contact yeah. with Dick coming in there as an assistant coach with that world junior team. I mean, how do they I mean, what are you doing? Are you breaking down film? Are you having Zoom meetings now? I mean, doesn't it effectively take away all your abilities to coach for two weeks prior to getting set for this tournament? Like, that that's just massive.
1: That, like, I'll tell you what. I, I think it, somebody made a really good point. The goaltending coach absence, that's one that I think you could legitimately have that could be felt within the team, right? working with young goaltenders over a two-week period that you now don't have access to
2: mm-hmm. to the do they look and evaluate the situation and go man that's two weeks we're not getting back we got to find someone else and bring in about bring in a couple of uh, more coaches
1: yeah but i but then like right. do you, you know Corey hershey just made this point like You've got so many goalie coaches out there, right? Does does one idea, what was being pushed, or a narrative, or a sort of thought process mm-hmm. work on this? Somebody comes in with a different approach. Like you, almost wonder like do you have too many cooks in the kitchen at that point.
2: Well, I I completely agree. Could you be a goaltending coach virtually? You're setting it up, and the guys are going through drills. They're going, "Hey, man, you got to change this." I mean, goaltending coach is all about the eyes. Uh, listen, it it it. It gives them certainly a wrinkle in something that they had no control over. And I go back to what Travis Green said his very first day when the Canucks got together at training camp before they went to the bubble is be prepared for the unprepared. Like, it's it's going to be fluid. There are going to be situations that you can't control. I don't know what could be worse for this, an outbreak with the players, but when you bring in the coaches and you have traveled uh, with World Juniors, you understand the influence they have on their players And how they can kind of mold them. And that's why that job and being part of that staff is so important. It's a great opportunity for Michael Dick. If you're effectively pulled from it right now for the two weeks while you're building in Red Deer, boy, that becomes difficult for this team to move forward.
1: Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I mean, just a a funky. I mean, we shouldn't be surprised because it's impacted. And obviously, they've tried to keep this bubble tight within Team Canada. But as we've seen right with the NFL with major league baseball um you know but you know teams get compromised and you know unless you're going to commit to what the NBA did a wonderful job with theirs i think the NHL did a, fan- a phenomenal job with two different bubbles here in this country um but man they're expensive right i mean I think the NHL cost them $75 million, and it was $150 million for what the NBA had to invest in for their playoff bubble. Like, they're not cheap, and Hockey Canada has resources, but, like, there's a limitation. They're not They're not able to commit to that sort of financial investment for a bubble.
2: No, and I think, you know, the World Junior Tournament is always interesting. It'll have more focus on it this year simply because of where they are and, and the lack of hockey to watch from our Canucks' perspective. You know, you'll be watching Pod Colson and what he can do, Hoaglander, what, you know, what they will do in, in any draft picks playing. But when you bring kids from all over the world, and as you said, you don't have the NHL money to keep them as isolated as possible. Oh. will we see this. So what are we, a week in? to Hockey Canada, and they've had to quarantine? Um, is that a sign of things to come? And again, the NHL's been able to sit back and look at what everybody has done, and thus we think, okay, you can you can figure it out, and they will have their Canadian vision planted. But you know, there's still the great unknown here, and especially for those young kids when you don't have the money, that how difficult it could be for them as they get prepared to hopefully represent their country and see what they can do. Uh, by the way, just uh, and I don't read Russian on social media – have you seen, did Yammer Yager just sign another deal to play in the KHL, at, at he'll be 49 in two months? Hey, this guy just doesn't stop. What? For yeah. always and ever, there's a picture of Yager at a press conference, and with his jersey 68, smiling. Huh. So I am just going to take in the fact that I don't think it's a retirement. I think Yogs is still kicking around he will be 49 in february and he's posing with his number 68 jersey i think he he wants to play to 50 he's he's playing till 50 now and i tell you what i'd go watch him play probably
1: well you know he's he's kind of he's almost like this this generation of gordie howe right yeah and yep. and it if you imagine where his numbers are when when you look at his, like his body of work like he's a, a shoe in for the Hall of Fame, but and and you look at the over the course of his career like he was kind of the the boy wonder when he first kind of popped out on the scene in the early nineties. Then he kind of became almost like the poster boy for kind of the spoiled athlete from a hockey standpoint, right? Like, he just had the bad attitude, never really wanted to help sell the game, you know, had the malaise couple of years when he was with the Washington Capitals, the bloated contract, and bad teams. And, And then all of a sudden, he went away And came back lovable. But you think about those three years. Like, look at what does his point total look like if you had those three other years with Yager, right? When they kind of rebooted the game. And, you know, those were potential, you know, 60, 70, 80-point seasons for Yager, right? Like, his legacy is is that much greater from an NHL standpoint. And, like, the numbers already are, he's among, like, statistically, he's among the top ten all time. Right what does that look like if he if if he ultimately delivers you know those three other seasons had he had he not gone back to Europe and had he stayed put
2: uh Mike English saying it's an exhibition game, trying to clarify that first, so there you go you yeah, you're right Yager is a guy who later on his career turned more lovable i think in a sense ovechkin too um right you you really now everybody loves ovi but boy, the stories of Yom or yager the stories of. You know, I have heard stories of the battles he had with Kevin Constantine came to Pittsburgh to take over the Penguins. And, you know, there was a time, you know, and lack of a better word, the inmates ran the asylum. Your star players were going to dictate what was going on with that team and how they were going to be. And Yarm or star couldn't have been brighter. And Kevin Constantine comes in there to trying to go, oh, okay, this is how we're going to do things. And it was not going to be that way from Yar, Yar, Yarm or Yager. And you, you have to win your players over. You know, you talk about Travis Green. We had so much conversation about when will he get that extension. The one thing with Travis Green is, hey, he's he's growing into his job with the players he has there, and they were young players, so there's certainly no question about that. You know, but back in the day, if you get some guys who are 33, 34, and they see it their way, and then you get a young coach in. I remember in Edmonton, they brought a young coach. George Burnett came in from your part of the woods in the yeah. OHL. To coach and oiler team, Shane Corson, was leading the way there. And Shane Corson kind of wasn't having it. And the next thing you know, you have a group of players and little factions here and there. And it was like, there is no us in this room, man. It's players and coach. Who's going to win the battle? And eventually the players did. Yager, I think, came around to it. But you're right. I'm not going to say an underappreciated talent. But, boy, you take a Yammer yager highlight film, he just did some incredible things with the puck, as good as you could find in the NHL when he was at his best.
1: Yeah, no, I don't think you could ever say un- underappreciated, but I-, I would just say that he-, he helped his own image when he kind of came back after three years in Europe, or, or four mm. years for that matter, um, you know, and kind of came back as a, as a-, a refreshed, a lovable type personality. Um, and and to kind of see where he was, uh, and you're like, okay, like this is this is a guy who's now comfortable in his own skin, where you know. But you take away those three years, like Perry, he, he's he's got 1,921 NHL points to his career, and 766 of those are goals. Like if mm-hmm. he doesn't take those three and a half years in Europe, you know, you're, you're looking at a guy who's got over 800 goals and he'd be the only other player besides Wayne Gretzky to have 2,000 career NHL points. Longevity, you know, you hear stories about his fitness and conditioning in his later years. They were excellent. You didn't hear that when he was younger, right? Like, he was kind of Mario Jr. in the first few years of his career, and he did all this magical stuff playing, riding shotgun with Mario. But when he became the guy, yes, the numbers were there, but... He didn't necessarily like being the guy. I think he, I think he wanted to be the guy in his own mind, but there were some teams that were pretty forgetful. Like look at there is a stretch in the early 2000s with the Capitals. In his time in Washington for the money that they paid him, he played mm-hmm. six playoff games with the Washington Capitals total in three seasons.
2: Uh, Glenn Gullitson telling me a story when he was the young head coach in Dallas with Yager and coming to the rink late at night just to check some stuff out. And there was Yager. He wanted that key to that weight room. So longevity, but the desire and the love to maximize, you know, not in the same manner, but you know, the Kobe Bryant stories you would hear after his passing on, man, he was just going to play. He was going to work on that shot, and Yager was going to get healthier and healthier and stay, stay as fit as possible. But you're right. His numbers are are incredible. And if he would have stayed for the entire run, but, yeah, you know, he marched to his own drum. And uh, you, you had to adjust to it a little bit. And he wanted the experiences, comebacks, appreciates it a little more. Hey, there's nothing better than a Yarma Yager salute, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I'm having fun. Yeah, I'm doing my job. Here to report for duty. Uh, and he did it very well.
1: 844, some final thoughts before we turn things over to the Scott RidTool show. And we'll do that next right here on Sportsnet 650.
0: Wide side to his right, he gets the snap, throws it long down the near sideline. Chase Claypool with a diving grab for a touchdown for Claypool, the rookie out of Notre Dame. That is his seventh touchdown receiving. Make that number eight on the year. This is the starting lineup with James Cebulski and Perry Solkowski on Sportsnet 650.
1: 849 on this. Monday morning, and man, what a weekend for Chase Claypool again. Abbotsford getting on the map in the National Football League World Pair after uh, Chase Claypool becomes the first wide receiver in 60 freaking years to have 10 touchdown catches in his first 10 NFL
2: games. Gets a Thanksgiving game uh, this upcoming week. Uh, not that he needs a bigger stage, but usually that's exactly what Thanksgiving games are. Everyone will have their eyes on him. Hey, he has been full value for everything that he has done. He's made everybody proud of what he has done, high school football here in BC and what people can do. Um, opens up the doors. Fun to watch. It's been a good week of football. I don't know what to expect tonight, other than I kind of. The week started with the Thursday Nighter with Kyler Murray walking into Russell Wilson. And a lot of people going at some point, maybe there's a passing of the torch and maybe Kyler Murray's there. For Jared Goff, he's got to a Super Bowl. But since then, everyone's gone, hmm, have you made the right decisions? I think there's some similarities. Goff trying to take this Rams football team to respectability and go, hey, we're one of the powers in the NFC. And there's Tom Brady, the little guy sitting there in the rocking chair going, nope, it's Monday night. I'll take control. I'm going to lean towards the veteran just like Russell Wilson did on Thursday for Tom Brady to put on a show tonight because the last time he had the stage, uh, not great at all.
1: No, uh, you got a good Monday nighter or tonight uh, with the Rams and the Bucks. Where do you lean to in this one? Uh, this evening, you like the Rams, don't you?
2: Well, I did. And I've changed my mind. Um, so I've gone to the Bucks. <laughs> so
1: you like you're like? you allowed teams. to
2: change your mind, right? You're allowed to change your mind. I, I like the Rams as a football team. I think Eric Donald could have a day. And if he does, you know, the one thing we know about Tom Brady, he's smart. He can read everything, but he can't move. If you get to Tom Brady, you can have success. But the way Ronald Jones has been running the ball, I'm going to take the Bucks today in a good football game.
1: Yeah, I think, uh, you know what, uh, that Rams defense has been impressive this year, um, but that Rams offense hasn't really wowed me a whole lot. I think the Bucs are good enough at home to get the job done tonight and – uh you know what? The Seahawks could certainly benefit uh, with this if if the Bucks can pull off a win. Now, all of a sudden, you got the Seahawks with a full game lead on Arizona and the Rams. If the if Tampa can do a solid for the. Um, for the Seahawks later tonight and take care of business against the Rams. Uh, All right. Time flies when you're having fun and we got to get out of here as the Scott rental show is ready to take on over. We're back at it tomorrow. It's for Tuesday, Todd Bertuzzi back in the fold again tomorrow. Uh, Hopefully the NHL and the players get the ball rolling again and uh, they can set aside their hostilities, put the guns and the knives down and maybe we can try to get closer and closer to the puck dropping on a 2020, 2021 NHL campaign. He's Perry Happy 30th birthday to the man on the other side of the glass, Mr. Greg Ballack, who was socially distancing to ring in his 30th year. Thanks so much, Greg, uh, for being part of the team, and happy birthday, buddy. Later. (laughs) See you guys right here on Sportsnet 650.